The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. We are legion. We do not forgive. We do not forget. Expect us. This is the typical calling card sign-off for Anonymous, a hacking collective that had formed by 2007. These hackers slash activists, or to use their language, hacktivists, have used their ability to break into the technology that runs our lives to protest governments, bring down websites, and expose countless pieces of personal sensitive information. Anonymous has hassled the KKK, the Church of Scientology, and various governments across the world. They've hacked into institutions previously thought to be unhackable, like the NSA, the U.S. National Security Agency. Who are they? Well, as the name implies, they are anonymous. We don't know most of their identities. They hide behind online aliases and the iconic Guy Fox mask from V for Vendetta. Anonymous was born on 4chan's B-Board, a forum dedicated to sharing ridiculous content, offensive jokes, and otherwise provide a safe haven for young people with dark senses of humor. Humor like, well, mine, probably like yours. And from this community would bloom an ethos centered around protecting free speech, fighting government corruption, trying not to pay for copywritten movies and music, and sometimes fucking with completely innocent people just for some lulls. Anonymous has backed both revolutions and cyberbullying. Today, we will dig into the deeds and misdeeds of Anonymous, how they began, what they've done, also dive into the history of hacking. Who were the first hackers? How has hacking evolved over the years? What kinds of heists have some of the world's most talented and criminally-minded hackers pulled off? Been listening to a lot of early 2000s techno this week doing the research. It felt right. For the cyberpunk keyboard warrior, you may stop this individual, but you can't stop us all, hacker edition of Time Suck. This is Michael McDonald, and you're listening to Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, Meat Sacks. I'm Dan Cummins, Suckmaster, drug legalization advocate. Maybe still don't do meth, though. Maybe easy on the heroin, though. Hail Nimrod, 
Hail Lucifina, glory be to Triple M, and praise be to good boy Bojangles. Recording again in the Suck Dungeon out of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Sun's out, maybe not quite guns out. Still a bit chilly. Uh, excited for a live Scared to Death show this Thursday night, Thursday, April 22nd, 6 p.m. Pacific time. The virtual doors open for a 6.30 p.m. start time. Our first uh, virtual show at looped.com for a bad magic show. Uh, excited for that. So go to looped.com for tickets if you want to check that out. Uh, remember how I was talking about drugs a second ago? Well, since it's also 420 this week, we now have a Time Suck Highly Curious 420 collection at badmagicmerch.com. We've got tees, hoodies, long sleeves from Bella. We have a whole collection, tote bags, framed canvas art, face masks, stash jars, grinders, bamboo rolling trays, water bottles. Got to stay hydrated. Brass lighter cases and accessory pouches. We're not fucking around. Uh, <laughs> uh, don't do drugs, meat sacks, unless you don't have to worry about a random drug test. And uh, you're going to do them right. You know, and be responsible. You're going to be confident that you're not going to get caught. Then uh, enjoy them. Best of luck. Life short. Hey, Lucifina. Also, had a problem with some venues displaying incorrect dates for some upcoming stand-up shows recently. Gotten some emails and messages. Uh, I am not touring anywhere until August. Uh, any venue that has dates for me listed before August of this year, they are not being entirely truthful. As in, they're not being truthful at all. Uh, they need to change up their websites. Change up the info. Stop trying to trick people. Uh, in August, the stand-up Symphony of Insanity tour uh, will, will start up, barring any further waves of closures and lockdowns. And I'm excited for that. I'll have more details in a, in a few months as far as dates and stuff. And that's it for announcements. Now on to the story of Anonymous and the world of hacking. Going to go over the technical side of hacking today and the development of cybersecurity to protect us from hackers. Going to talk about hacktivism. And then after taking a peek at a few of the biggest online heists of all time, and uh, that some especially talented hackers have pulled off. So insane. Uh, we'll dig into the story of Anonymous. Going to look at how the group started, how the group is organized, if it's organized, what it's been up to since its formation. Anonymous has hacked just about every institution you can think of, uh, from the NSA, CIA, NASA, the Federal Reserve, to the Vatican, just about every big corporation out there. Tell the story of Anonymous. Uh, we're going to wander through some lulls, some Reddit threads, fuse between collectives, and more. Let's get to hacking. Did you ever see that movie War Games with Matthew Broderick, Ali Sheedy, two 80s acting giants? Came out in the summer of 1983. Broderick was only 20 when it was filmed. Classic 80s Cold War flick where Broderick plays David Lightman, a young hacker, Seattle high schooler, who unwittingly hacks his way into a giant U.S. military supercomputer program to predict a nuclear war against the Soviet Union and make sure the U.S. launches its nukes first. It was a big hit. Thinking at first he's playing an early online game, David Lightman is actually making the computer's AI think that the Russians are really attacking. And then, of course, he has to save the day. This young hacker must save the world from a nuclear apocalypse. In this movie, War Games, it introduced hacking to mainstream America, introduced it to me. I don't remember a lot of moments from that movie. I saw it when I was in grade school. I do remember the impression it made on me. Shortly after seeing this movie, uh, Papa Ward, Grandma Betty, they bought me an early computer. Commodore 64. We didn't have internet access yet. Only super nerds could figure out how to get online in 1983. And they sure as shit weren't doing that from Riggins, Idaho, where cable hadn't even been laid. It was satellite TV or three channels over the airwaves that you got sometimes. Uh, the World Wide Web, most casual nerds like myself could figure out how to use, wasn't invented until 1990. The very first online game had only been played on ARPNET. Uh, Oh my gosh, ARPANET. There we go. Jesus Christ. Uh, the precursor to the internet. It's A-R-P-A-N-E-T. 
1983 years before War Games. But when I saw the movie around 1987 or 1988, uh, I wanted to hack. I wanted to somehow Matthew Broderick my way into Sarah Jessica Parker's vagina. Hail Lucifina! No, sorry. I wouldn't fantasize that for about a decade after uh, War Games. Uh, First Wives Club? Bette Midler? May have watched it with my mom. May have enjoyed it more than I let on since it was marketed towards middle-aged women. May have liked Sarah Jessica Parker's character a lot. Uh, Later, I would be jealous that Broderick was sleeping with Sarah Jessica Parker. In the mid-80s when I saw War Games, I didn't even know what a vagina was. I only knew girls made me anxious and computers and video games made me happy. And I wanted to Matthew Broderick my way into the local bank. Siphon off just a few pennies a day from all of the accounts into my account. No big whoops. Who's going to miss a few pennies? Somehow from that become very, very, very rich. But how could I do that? How could I hack? I knew it had something to do with programming. So I started to teach myself coding. <laughs> Not even joking. I didn't get very far. I learned enough in basic to make a ball bounce across the screen. And then I got frustrated by how many lines of code it would take to just to make one stupid looking little pixelated ball bounce a little bit. And I gave up. And I went back to playing Airborne Ranger and Skate or Die. Never learned how to hack. Probably for the best. Probably best for for everyone. What even is hacking? Hacking is the gaining of unauthorized access to data in a system or computer. That's the Oxford Dictionary definition. It is the activity of identifying weaknesses in a computer system or a network to exploit the security to gain access to personal data or business data. The term hack originated from MIT students. And at first, it didn't even refer to computers. Way back in 1961, MIT's Tech Model Railroad Club hacked their high-tech train sets in order to modify their functions. I fucking love this. This is the nerdiest shit ever. The first hackers did not look like Neo from The Matrix. They looked like Steve Urkel from Family Matters. The first hackers were dicking around with model trains at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. A semi-automatic control system based on telephone relays was installed by these model train nerds in the mid-1950s. It was called the ARRC, the Automatic Railroad Running Computer. It could run a train over the entire set of track in both directions without manual intervention, throwing switches and powering tracks ahead of the train. (laughs) I picture them wearing this little conductor's hat and everything. We did it! Yay! We are hackers! Choo-choo! MIT students who worked on programming when switches were thrown and when tracks were powered, they became the first hackers. They weren't initially hacking into anything. They were hacking away at different types of code, playing with new forms of programming, inventing new types of programming and programming's early days. Uh, They were not actually that into trains. They were into computer systems and they were learning how to manipulate systems. They were employing a new style of programming, different from the cut and dried methods employed by the world's very first system programmers. They enjoyed the intellectual challenge of creatively overcoming and circumventing limitations of programming systems and trying to extend the capabilities of programming. These super nerds soon took off their choo-choo train conductor hats and they moved from little model trains to giant computers using the elusive and expensive at the time IBM 704s at MIT to innovate, explore, create new rules for how these machines functioned and try to expand the tasks that computers could accomplish. And those early computers truly were giant. They were massive. They weighed over 30,000 pounds each. Only some Avenger or some superhero could use them as a laptop. Spending, too, over $2 million each. And that's $2 million at the time. Um, The first hackers using them weren't trying to break into anything or commit any crimes. They were using hacking as a tool to explore, improve, and test the limits of existing programs. More system manipulation. And then in the 1970s, a new type of hacker showed up, phone hackers. Dubbed freakers, 
P-H-R-E-A-K-E-R-S. These phone hackers, such as the infamous John Draper, they exploited the operational characteristics in the telephone switching network of the time, which had only recently gone completely electric. John Draper legendarily, this is such a funny story to me, he discovered that a toy whistle found in Captain Crunch cereal boxes produced the exact tone necessary, 2,600 hertz, to indicate to AT&T telephone lines that the line was ready and available to route a new long-distance call. He did this sometime around 1969. At this time, telephone lines only relayed audio information, not digital information. So when you pushed a button on your phone, for example, the, t- the number sent a specific tone into the line. I remember hearing these tones as a kid. These tones traveled through the line to a central switching station. At the station, the tones were converted back into numbers and connected to the right telephone line and eventually to the right telephone on the other end of the line. And the tone that that Captain Crunch whistle made uh, told the switching station to open up a long-distance line for a call without you having to pay for it. It hacked it. It got you a free long-distance call. You could call anywhere in the world for free. It bypassed the typical number sequence you had to punch in to make a long-distance call that you would be charged for. And while a lot of people, once the news got out, started using Captain Crunch whistles to place free calls all over the world, so funny to me, uh, John Draper, who's still known in hacker circles as either Captain Crunch, Crunch, or Crunch Man, he and other freakers, uh, they were not trying to save money by doing this. They were trying to just manipulate the system. And a computer is a type of system Uh, which would lead to the same curiosity being later applied to hacking specifically computers and then, you know, the internet. Some very high-profile people were phone breakers before they went legit, including Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, co-founders of Apple. They knew Draper. They were part of this early group of, of freakers. Interestingly, hacking today still doesn't necessarily mean committing a crime. Often the term cracking is reserved for criminal hacking. But since the term cracker now is mostly associated with either a thin, tasty wafer, perfect for placing cheese on, or a derogatory uh, racial slur for a white person, hacker is generally used for both good and bad hackers. Uh, By the 1970s, the military potential for computers started to be realized. Now hacking got a bit more serious. These model train nerds at MIT were really working on artificial intelligence systems with all their uh, fucking with track switches and such. And some of those early hackers would go on to work on the team that assembled the internet precursor network known as ARPANET. And uh, ARPANET was funded by the Department of Defense as a means to link government offices across the nation. These early hackers contributed to the technological development of the military-industrial complex. Then in the early 70s, counterculture university students protesting hacker involvement in the Vietnam War would drive a lot of early hackers underground. It wasn't cool, man, to help the man. Uh, Interesting that a lot of the first hackers were not being hunted down by the government. They were being funded by the government. The military-industrial complex funded both the projects that would create modern hacker culture and produced the first anonymous shields for hackers to hide their identities when they secretly hired programmers in the 70s to continue to work for them clandestine, clandestinely. Then in the 1980s, when the, uh, with the new popularity of personal computers that had first entered the market in 1977, the modern hacker was truly born, the one Matthew Broderick would give a big-screen mainstream face to. While there were still a large number of hackers interested primarily in tinkering with operating systems, a new breed emerged that was more concerned with personal gain. Instead of using their technological know-how for improving computers, they used it for criminal activities, including pirating software, creating viruses, and breaking into systems to steal sensitive information. Ian Murphy, aka Captain Zap, 
was the first hacker, called at the time a cracker, uh, to be tried and convicted as a felon in 1981. Murphy broke into AT&T computers and changed uh, the internal clocks that metered billing rates. People were getting late night discount rates now when they called through at midday. Nice. Uh, of course, the bargain seekers who waited until midnight to call long distance, they were now being hit with high bills. Uh, a big headache for AT&T. AT&T, the first corporation to really start to hate hackers, right? The first to be fucked with, starting with Captain Crunch and his fellow freakers. And now they got to deal with Captain Zap. So many captains to deal with. It was a hacking captain epidemic. 1983, a group of six teenage hackers from Milwaukee calling themselves the 414s, they hacked into 60 different computer systems, including the Security Pacific National Bank and the Los Alamos National Laboratory. Their story broke around the same time war games came out. Got people really talking about hackers. They exposed a wee bit of a security breach since Los Alamos was where atomic bombs were designed. Uh, one of the places, a couple of military secrets, the, uh, you know, the uh, U.S. would rather not share with the world being stored there. The teen hackers didn't do much once they broke into these systems, but they could have. And the fact that six kids did break into both sensitive financial information and classified military information systems was a wee bit concerning to Uncle Sam. In 1986, the first legislation related to hacking, the Federal Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, is passed. That same year, a legendary hacker, Lloyd Blankenship, calling himself The Mentor, early member of the hacker group The Legion of Doom, fucking cool-ass name, is arrested. Shortly after his arrest, he publishes The Hacker Manifesto, a.k.a. The Conscience of a Hacker, on January 8th, 1986. It's not very long, and it's a very revered document in hacker culture, said to have heavily influenced the hacker ethos and still, still to influence it. So I will read this thing in its entirety. Another one got caught today. It's all over the papers. Teenager arrested in computer crime scandal. Hacker arrested after bank tampering. Damn kids, they're all alike. But did you in your three-piece psychology and 1950s techno brain ever take a look behind the eyes of the hacker? Did you ever wonder what made him tick? What forces shaped him? What may have molded him? I am a hacker, enter my world. Mine is a world that begins with school. I'm smarter than most of the other kids. This crap they teach us bores me. Damn underachiever, they're all alike. I'm in junior high or high school. I've listened to teachers explain for the 15th time how to reduce a fraction. I understand it. No, Ms. Smith, I didn't show my work. I did it in my head. Damn kid, probably copied it. They're all alike. I made a discovery today. I found a computer. Wait a second, this is cool. It does what I want it to. If it makes a mistake, it's because I screwed it up. Not because it doesn't like me, or feels threatened by me, or thinks I'm a smartass, or doesn't like teaching and shouldn't be here. Damn kid, all he does is play games. They're all alike. And then it happened. A door opened to a world, rushing through the phone line like heroin through an addict's veins. An electronic pulse is sent out. A refuge from the day-to-day -day incompetencies is sought. A board is found. This is it. This is where I belong. I know everyone here, even if I've never met them, never talked to them, may never hear from them again. I know you all. Damn, kid. Tying up the phone line again. They're all alike. You bet your ass we're all alike. We've been spoon-fed baby food at school when we've hungered for steak. The bits of meat that you did let slip through were pre-chewed and tasteless. We've been dominated by sadists or ignored by the apathetic. The few that had something to teach us found willing pupils. But those few are like drops of water in the desert. This is our world now. The world of the electron and the switch, the beauty of the bod. 
We make use of a service already existing without paying for what could be dirt cheap if it wasn't run by profiteering gluttons and you call us criminals. We explore and you call us criminals. We seek after knowledge and you call us criminals. We exist without skin color, without nationality, without religious bias, and you call us criminals. You build atomic bombs, you wage wars, you murder, cheat, and lie to us and try to make us believe it's for our own good, yet we're the criminals. Yes, I'm a criminal. My crime is that of curiosity. My crime is that of judging people by what they say and think, not what they look like. My crime is that about smarting you, something that you will never forgive me for. I am a hacker, and this is my manifesto. You may stop this individual, but you can't stop us all. After all, we're all alike. Damn! Not gonna lie. That shit got my fucking blood moving when I found it. Feeling some Rage Against the Machine vibes there. Uh, sounds like something I'd like to write for Time Suck. Reminds me of my younger self when I wanted to tear everything down. Sometimes for the right reasons. Sometimes just because I didn't really understand how the world worked and just wanted to create chaos, make myself heard, make the world react to my destruction, right? Make it, make it, make it acknowledge my existence. I think this manifesto does sum up hacker ethos pretty well, including the ethos of Anonymous. Sometimes Anonymous has burned shit down to expose and or destroy corruption and punish those who have committed blatantly heinous crimes and actions. Other times they burn shit down just to watch it burn. So easy to read that manifesto and be like, fuck yeah, bro. Go hackers, go, get them, get the man, fuck the man, fuck the banks, fuck the government, burn it all. And then later, when you have your credit card and banking information stolen, and you're not able to buy groceries or pay your rent because some hackers wiped out your account, you're like, whoa, 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 nearly. Hold up, hackers. Wait a minute. Ha <laughs> uh, Not loving the hacking right now. now. I forgot that when you burn it all down, sometimes you, know, you, you, get, you get burnt. <laughs> you get trapped in the fires yourself. And then when the bank and the credit company, you know, and they help get your money back, and then the federal law enforcement agencies track down the hacker who stole it from you, then you're like, get, get those fucking hackers. Fuck them. Get them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, a lot more fun to read about hackers' exploits than it is to be victimized by hackers. Uh, in 1988, in response to a growing number of hackers and security breaches, DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, formed CERT, the Computer Emergency Response Team to Address Cybersecurity. In the 1990s, in an effort to crack down on a growing number of hackers committing computer-based crimes, the U.S. Secret Service begins launching sting investigations, conducting raids, and arresting a number of hackers. Trying to avoid conviction, members in the hacking community begin to inform on each other in exchange for immunity, which of course leads to further arrests. But even as law enforcement cracks down further and further on cybercrimes, the sheer proliferation of computers being sold in the marketplace means more and more and bigger and bigger opportunities for hackers and their ranks swell. No matter how many they arrest, there are always other hackers continuing to hack. It's like the mentor said, right, in that manifesto. You may stop this individual, but you can't stop us all. Businesses, corporations, government facilities were now no longer being uh, used or, excuse me, using isolated computer systems, but it moved on to large networks with massive interconnected servers that allowed them to do business more efficiently. It was a fantastic improvement on the previous way of doing business. These larger networks paved the way for today's massive e-commerce right, industry. Uh, these larger networks were also, though, more vulnerable to hacking. New cyber attacks cost many organizations millions and millions of dollars each year, exposed countless pieces of private and sensitive information. Since 2010, data breaches have exposed over 38 billion personal records and 40,650 data hacks in just the U.S. alone, according to the cybersecurity firm Risk-Based Security. And since there are roughly 327 million Americans, according to the latest census estimate, 
That means that the average person has had 116 of their accounts compromised over the past decade. Fucking hackers. Uh, it's hard to really root for them. You know, <laughs> when, you, when you read about stuff like this, I mean, you know, I think they're cool when I watch them in some movie like the matrix and I fucking hate them when I can't log into some app because I've had to change the password five times in the last two years. And I can't remember what the new password is. And I keep having to change the password because of cybersecurity and cybersecurity exists because of hackers. While most hacks have led to small data breaches, there have been numerous mega hacks over the years uh, as well. Several companies such as 7-Eleven, WhatsApp, Fortnite, I love Fortnite, uh, reported security flaws in the past couple of years that could have exposed millions of customers' data. Uh, the extent of these hacks not been reported, but check out the numbers on some of these other big hacks uh, whose reach was reported. 143 million records were stolen from Under Armour's MyFitnessPal app in 2018. That's a lot of payment information. In 2017, Equifax was breached to the point of affecting about 56% of all Americans, 147 million people. Uh, hackers were able to, to get access to people's names, uh, social security numbers, dates of birth, credit card numbers, even driver's license numbers. Uh, Equifax agreed to pay $700 million to settle federal and state investigations into how it handled the massive data breach. An email marketing company, River City Media, made headlines in 2017 for a hack that released 1.4 billion records. The company improperly configured a backup that accidentally placed their entire database online, which contained details like customers' IP addresses, names, even physical addresses. Uh, currently, the title for the largest data breach in history goes to Yahoo, at least as far as we could tell. Yahoo first told the public in September of 2016 it had experienced a breach in 2014 that affected 500 million accounts at least. And then that December, Yahoo revealed that they had been a victim of an attack all the way back in 2013 that exposed at least a billion user accounts. <laughs> Jesus. And this is uh, obviously like worldwide. This number would increase when Verizon bought Yahoo in 2017, revealed the number of accounts compromised in the 2013, 2013, excuse me, hack was more like 3 billion accounts. Can't believe that many accounts existed. Yahoo eventually agreed to pay $117.5 million to settle a class action lawsuit in April, 2019 over how it handled communications around these hacks. A lot of fucking money to have to pay over some hacker bullshit. These are just a few enormous hacks. There's so many others. Hacks happen all the time across the world on big and small scales. Uh, that doesn't mean, though, that all hackers have criminal intentions. The old school ways of hacking as a means of improving systems, still there, as well as vigilante hacking. Within the hacking community, hackers seem to separate themselves primarily into five different groups. There's a class of hackers that claim to use their powers only for good. Ethical hackers, also known as white hats. Ethical hacking consists of identifying weakness in a computer system and or a computer network, coming up with countermeasures that protect the weakness. Ethical hackers get written permission from the owner of the computer system before hacking, protect the privacy of the organization, and report the weaknesses they find, or they're hired by the owner of the system. Uh, the opposite of the white hat is the black hat, also known as a cracker, aka criminal hacker. And a cracker is a silly ass white boy who needs to keep his fucking mouth shut. No, wait, sorry, that's not, that doesn't make any sense for me to say. No, a cracker is a hacker who gains unauthorized access to computer systems for personal gain. And most of the time, these are just, you know, called hackers now again, uh, making them cyber criminals. Uh, crackers uh, usually intend to steal corporate data, violate policy rights, transfer funds from bank accounts, blackmail targets, you know, that, that kind of thing, or just simply cause pain and suffering. Uh, their actions fall under the very broad umbrella term of cybercrime. Cybercrimes include computer fraud, uh, privacy violation, sometimes called doxing, identity theft, 
sharing copyrighted files like illegally downloaded music, uh, transferring electronic funds illegally, electronic money laundering, ATM fraud, even spam, fucking spammers. Another type of cybercrime is a denial of service attack, a DOS attack. Uh, it's used to deny legitimate users access to a resource such as accessing a website, network, emails, etc., or making it extremely slow. This type of attack is usually implemented by hitting the target resource such as a web server, which is too many requests for information at the same time. And Anonymous loves this type of attack. They've used it very effectively time and time again. It'll come up a lot in the Anonymous timeline. Uh, a DDoS attack results in the server failing to respond to all the requests. Ideally, this attack crashes the servers. And there's, there's two types of DOS attacks, a, a basic DOS, which is performed by a single host and a distributed DOS, also called a DDoS, uh, performed by a number of compromised machines that all target the same victim. Much more effective, power in numbers. A DDoS floods the network with so, so many data packets, way too many. It jams the network, slowing it down, or ideally for the hacker, crashing the server completely, right? There's only so much bandwidth. It can only handle so much information at one time. A DDoS fucks up things pretty nicely, but typically not for very long. Most of these attacks don't seem to say shut a server and a major corporate website down for more than a couple hours. Or as opposed to, and please listen, hackers, maybe replacing the homepage with a GIF of some super aggressive deep fake porn, making it appear that the CEO is having a real good time with the CFO and the COO, maybe some farm animals, right? And then changing all the admin passwords to lock out anyone trying to erase that GIF. And then maybe do that same thing a few hours later after they get their system back online and then do it again and again and again. Just tossing out a fun idea, but don't do it to me, please. Actually, maybe do. First off, uh, you know, might be kind of funny to see what kind of deep fake porn you could come up with. Some combination of me, Lindsay, maybe Joe, maybe Zach, Logan, Liz, Sophie, the mannequins in the office, uh, the doodles, Penny and Ginger, who knows? Uh, might get us some free press and we get to both laugh and play the victim. Anyway, back to the five types of hackers. Uh, there's the gray hat. Not everyone fits neatly into either white hats or black hats, good and bad. So there's the morally ambiguous gray hats. Sounds like I'm setting up D&D characters here. Uh, these are the hackers uh, that break into computer systems without authority with a view to identify weaknesses and reveal them to the system owner or, depending on what they find, maybe stealing some shit, maybe breaking some stuff. I feel like I might be a gray hat if I was a hacker. I sometimes do good things and then sometimes be like, nah, fuck these guys. Uh, then there's uh, what's called script kitties. Script kitties are like uh, assistant hackers, ju junior hackers, slacker hackers, uh, hacker lackeys. Maybe, th maybe that one. They like to create a little havoc online, but actually uh, they don't really want to learn the coding skills required uh, to, to really hack, right? That gets in the way of some Fortnite or some Call of Duty. So they just become part of a larger script kitty army. They work with software that a skilled coder slash hacker has created for them to use. And then finally, there are the hacktivists. This is the class that Anonymous and its splinter groups fall under, or at least can, they consider themselves to be hacktivists. Hacktivism is the act of using legal or illegal digital tools in pursuit of political ends, free speech, social messages, that type of thing. Hacktivists are usually motivated by human rights issues or claim to be and often hijack websites to display a message about their cause. Now that we've gone over the hacker types, let's say you would like to become a hacker, hopefully an ethical one, or at least a gray hat. As a hacker, what will you, uh, you know, uh, need to, to do? What we need to learn? Well, you'll need to develop skills that'll, you know, obviously help you get the job done. You're going to uh, need knowledge of how computers talk to one another and relate information to a network system, also known as a programming language. Uh, different platforms have different programming languages. As an example, Visual Basic Classic 3, 4, 5, and 6.0. 
And then the successor to Visual Basic, visualbasic.net, are used to write applications that run on Windows. The most recent version uh, on the .NET framework is Visual Basic 2019. Uh, it will be, therefore, illogical for you to learn how to program in Visual Basic if the program you're trying to hack into runs on JavaScript, right? Once you know your way around how to program these different languages, some good social engineering skills can also help you hack. Uh, social engineering is just a really nice way of saying uh, being manipulative. How can you manipulate the user of a computer system into revealing confidential information that can be used to gain unauthorized access to the computer system? One example is just spam. You know, how can you trick somebody into clicking a link? How good are you at tricking people into revealing passwords or downloading hacking code that will allow you access to whatever system you want to exploit? Uh, you know, how, how uh, here's an example of a little bit more uh, involved social engineering than just getting somebody to, to trick a, uh, click a link. You know, um, let's say you uh, look into the company directory of some company on their website and then you pick an employee that has the access you desire and then you just straight up stalk them. You find them on social media. You find out where they live. You spy on them. You learn their routine. Maybe you sneak an infected flash drive into their laptop when they go to the bathroom that downloads some type of Trojan horse, worm, or virus onto their computer. Uh, Trojan horse is a program that allows you to attack um, the user's computer from a remote location, right, and control it. The program is usually disguised as something that is useful to the user. Uh, once the user has installed the program, it has the ability to install malicious payloads, create backdoors, install other unwanted applications that can be used to compromise the user's computer, and so on. A worm is a malicious computer program that replicates itself, uh, usually over a computer network. An attacker may use a worm to install backdoor entries on victims' computers to send spam emails, perform distributed denial of service attacks, or create opportunities for other malware to exploit. And finally, there are viruses. I'm sure you've heard of them. Uh, a virus is a computer program that attaches itself to legitimate programs and files without the user's consent. Viruses can consume computer resources, such as memory and CPU time. The attacked programs and files are said to be infected. And a computer virus may be used to access private data, display annoying messages to the user, corrupt data, even track the user's keystrokes, all kinds of stuff. And obviously all of this is super illegal. And who are the folks looking to find and arrest these cyber crooks, putting all these viruses, worms, Trojan horses, and et cetera out there? Well, you will be very surprised, I'm guessing, unless you are really uh, knowledgeable about this subject. Initially, long before his career in reality television, the world's most successful cyber cop, really the first kind of, I don't know, quasi-celebrity cyber cop uh, way before he had a reality show was Dog the Bounty Hunter. Dog, real name Dwayne Chapman, went to MIT for two years before dropping out in 1973. He moved to the Silicon Valley, became one of those freakers. How fucking crazy is that? He and Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak were briefly roommates. They shared the same Cupertino apartment for about a month. Dwayne then went to work for Radio Shack shortly after the company was founded as a purchaser while living in Columbus, Ohio, expanding the, uh, the Radio Shack brand in the early 80s, he got real into hacking, rumored to have broken into Wells Fargo's primary servers, where some sources say he then moved over $100 million into several offshore accounts in the Cayman Islands. He was about to transfer the funds to Switzerland when the CIA caught him, is what the story says. Uh, they made him a deal, return the money, come work for us, or spend the rest of your life in prison. And the CIA allegedly told him, we want you to grow out your hair and bleach it. And mostly wear leather vests with no shirt underneath. And start wearing Oakley sunglasses all the time. Like fucking all the time. Especially indoors. And change your name to dog. And start saying shit like dog is God spelled backwards. And born on a mountain, raised in a cave. Arresting fugitives is all I crave. 
Does anyone still believe that Dog the Bounty Hunter <laughs> had anything to do with hackers, right? That he was the first cyber cop, that he once went to MIT. God, I hope someone hit pause. <laughs> After I said Dog the Bounty Hunter once cyber attacked Wells Fargo and stole over $100 million. And I hope that person is fucking telling everyone they know. Oh my God, did you know about Dog the Bounty Hunter's backstory? Before, before he had the, like the bleach hair, before he was living in Hawaii. No, he was a hacker. He was like a hacker and then he became like a cyber cop. Uh, no, the FBI is the lead federal agency for investigating cyber attacks and intrusions followed closely by the Department of Homeland Security. Under the DHS, the Secret Service has a cyber intelligence section that works to target financial cyber crimes. Uh, the DHS created the Enhanced Cybersecurity Services, ECS, to protect public and private sectors in the U.S. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency approves private partners that provide intrusion detection and prevention services through the ECS. Uh, states have their own cybercrime units, as do many cities. Uh, none of them employ the computer programming savant. Uh, that is Dog the Bounty Hunter. Uh, speaking of dog, let's talk about some criminals before we get to our timeline. Uh, I love learning this. Two of the most criminally successful hackers ever. On January 8th, 2013, the Algerian hacker, uh, Hamza Ben Dalij, it was hard to find a, a pronunciation of his name, aka BX1, he went by BX1, was arrested in Thailand and extradited to the US after a five-year international manhunt. Dude uh, was on both the FBI and Interpol's 10 most wanted list. And he was only 24 years old when he was arrested. And because of a big grin, he flashed. He looks like a super nice guy. Uh, the, uh, the, the, when the press took a picture of him shortly after his arrest, big old grin, he was dubbed the smiling hacker. Uh, Hamza speaks five languages, used his linguistic skills in conjunction with his hacking skills to fuck with people all over the world. He's the co-creator of some real nasty malware called SpyEye. And his malware infected over 60 million computers worldwide. And once a computer was infected, he and his Russian malware co-creator, uh, Alexander Penin, aka the hacker uh, Grybodemon, could and did steal banking information that they would then use to drain someone's account with. On April 20th, 2016, Hamza was sentenced to 15 years in prison, three years of probation. His accomplice, Alexander, arrested at Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport in the summer of 2013, sentenced to nine years, six months in prison. Uh, the U.S. Department of Justice at their trials estimated that these two, using their spy-eye malware, had stolen approximately a billion dollars. Hamza also rumored to have hacked into the Israeli government's official website, stolen valuable information, then gave that information to the Palestinian government, uh, rumored to have given $280 million to Palestinian nonprofits. Um, no traditional in-person bank robber has ever stolen anywhere near that amount of money. And that's not even the craziest story of the two. Uh, there's the Carbonac cyber gang. This shit's even more ridiculous. From 2013 to 2018, using a series of malware attacks called Anunak and Carbonac, and then using some modified Cobalt Strike software turned into malware, this gang targeted financial transfers and ATM networks to steal, to steal excuse me, well over a billion dollars. Cobalt Strike is actually a legitimate piece of software that's used to simulate cyber attacks. It's cybersecurity software. And these fuckers hacked the cybersecurity software and modified it <laughs> to use it to pull off real cyber attacks that were very effective. Their leader, a man identified as Ukrainian Denis Katana, was arrested in Alicante, Spain, March 6, 2018. And check out one of the ways his gang would rob. On the evening of July 10th, 2016, in Taipei, Taiwan, it was pouring down rain. Most people were staying inside. Not Sergei Boroskovy and Vladimir Berkman. These two Russians walked up to an ATM at First Commercial Bank, one of Taiwan's top lenders, wearing hats, 
uh, wearing the kind of mask we see everyone wearing now with COVID. Two witnesses watch them just stand in front of the machine, not touching it for a few moments. And then as the astonished couple in line behind them later told the police, the ATM just started spitting out cash, like all of its fucking cash. Neither man had touched it. Can you imagine seeing that? The two men started shoving all the big bills into the, uh, the machine spit out into the satchel. Then they jumped into a waiting black sedan and sped off when the satchel was full. <laughs> the only reason we know who they are is because one of them fucked up and had a bank card he didn't even use that night, fall out of his pocket at the scene of the crime. And that couple who witnessed uh, this happen, they picked it up and gave it to authorities. These guys were just two of 15 money mules, they're called, who hit 41 ATMs at 22 branches of First Commercial over that same stormy weekend, taking in 83 million new Taiwan dollars or about the equivalent of uh, 2.6 million US. How did they do it? Carbonac cyber gang hackers hacked into the bank's ATM network, forced the machines to spit out cash. But how did the machines know when to spit the cash out? Well, the gang also hacked into the ATM security camera feeds and were able to watch from a remote computer or computers, wait for the right guys to stand in front of the right ATMs, and then fucking there you go. Bingo, bango! Here comes the cash. Holy shit. <laughs> I know bank robbery is fucked up, but this might be the coolest bank robbery I've ever read about. It's like something out of a movie. Hackers on computers, maybe just one hacker, could be that dude back in Spain or anywhere else in the world, right? Just, you know, watching on, on the screen. I picture some big-ass fucking screen, some, like, secret room, you know, just watching the security camera feeds on 41 ATMs in Taipei. And then when the right dude show up in front of the right ATM, just pushes a couple buttons, and they just pump out all of their cash. And this wasn't the first time they'd done this, and it wouldn't be the last time. They also redirected huge money transfers from intended accounts to their accounts over and over again for years. Uh, by 2018, they'd hacked into over 100 banks in over 40 nations, including Germany, Russia, the Ukraine, the US, uh, stolen more than an estimated $1.2 billion, according to Europool. Uh, they stole the identities of countless network administrators and bank executives, plumbed their hard drive files for sensitive information about security and account management, the gang operated through remotely accessed computers, hid their tracks in a sea of IP addresses. Uh, no word on what's currently going on with that Dennis Katana. After his arrest, information on him, as far as what I can tell, goes silent on the web. Uh, don't know that he's even been charged. Just know that he was arrested. Uh, I imagine he can afford some pretty good attorneys. And uh, since his arrest, Carbonock has pulled off new heists, uh, adding a lot of money to their already over $1.2 billion in, in their in their cash haul. So is Dennis even the real gang leader? Uh, to quote Mentor again, you can stop this individual, but you can't stop us all, right? He might not even be like the real head of the gang, or there could be five other people that can do what he does. It's fucking crazy. Okay. Uh, now that we've gone over how hacking evolved, what kinds of hackers there are, how hacking is done, glance at what a few of the most successful criminal hackers have pulled off, at least theft-wise and examined Dog the Bounty Hunter's role in all of this. Let's dive into an anonymous timeline after our sponsor break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out, sleep, read a book, play Fortnite, call your mom, take judo lessons, finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. 
So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything is that there's always a catch. So when you hear that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month, when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably thinking, what's the catch? Well, there isn't one, really. They cut the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. It's pretty simple. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month and no catch. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts over. And in addition to saving money, like over a 50% price drop from what I was paying before, the network quality, in my experience, is better than it was with my old service provider. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash timesuck. That's mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Thanks to Rocket Money, I canceled a membership to a gym I used to go to where I continued to pay a monthly membership for a couple of years after I stopped going. I didn't even recognize the charge. Rocket Money found it though, and it was canceled. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. That's rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. Rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. I still love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but I'd stopped eating them almost entirely a while back because the bread on top of the sugar from the jelly made me so sleepy. All those carbs caused me to want to take a nap after eating them. Enter Hero Bread. Hero Bread takes the fear of carbs out of bread, but still leaves you with that delicious bread taste. Hero Bread has zero to one gram of net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and it's high in fiber. It's also delicious and flavorful. The soft, fluffy experience you love when enjoying a savory breakfast burrito or mouth-watering cheeseburger. There is something for every craving, including sliced bread loaves, buns, and tortillas. And there are monthly small batch drops of indulgent favorites, like the two grams of net carbs Hero Croissant or the one gram of net carbs Hero Cheddar Biscuit. I had a loaf of Hero Classic White Bread delivered last week. Soft, fluffy, and delicious. Five grams of protein per slice, and it's high in fiber. And the best part? Hero Bread doesn't taste healthy. It tastes like bread. It's great. Don't give up on being a breadhead. 
Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use code TIMESUCK at checkout. That's TIMESUCK at H-E-R-O dot C-O. Thank you for listening. Now let us hack. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. On October 1st, 2003, 4chan, an anonymous English language image image board website comes into existence. The site was inspired by 2channel, 2ch.net, which now redirects to 5ch.net, a massive internet forum with seemingly random content that was especially popular in Japan. Two Channel debuted back in 1999. Most of the initial various forums on 4chan were based on Japanese pop culture, but their most popular forum quickly became B, uh, like, like this uh, slash B slash, a forum designated for random content. And in the sea of random content, Anonymous would form. In the mid-2000s, Aubrey Cottle was part of a crew of online pranksters who called themselves trolls. One, one of the OG web trolls. And these trolls met up on 4chan B, also on a site called Something Awful, a comedy website full of blogs, forums, lots of dark humor and memes. You know, the kind of content that got our Cult of Curious private Facebook group uh, thrown in Facebook prison, where it still sits. Uh, I am still emailing back and forth with them every week, by the way, and only getting a new vague email answer each Monday that is probably auto-generated, letting me know that the Facebook team is still reviewing the Cult of the Curious. Sorry if you're wait. Damn you, QAnon! You fucked up social media for everybody recently. Uh, anyway, in 2018, Gizmodo ranked something awful as 89th on their list of 100 websites that shaped the internet as we know it. Uh, tens of thousands of users were on these forums and image boards back in the early 2000s, almost all of them young men, many likely covered in Cheetos and Doritos dust full of Mountain Dew, worried that mom was going to walk into the rooms and catch them jerking off again. And among these keyboard warriors was an especially diehard band who hung out in the same chat rooms, feuded online, and then met up in real life in Toronto, Canada. And these dudes started to call themselves anonymous. The name was derived from the way 4chan presents usernames. If none is specified, the site would display anonymous by default. Uh, So there you go on the history of the term. In 2006, these anonymous tech wizards decided to start attacking people they didn't like. One of the first anonymous attacks, maybe the first big coordinated attack, was against Hal Turner in December of 2006. Uh, A deserving target, I have to say. According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, Harold C. Hal Turner is a white supremacist true believer who has been using radio and internet broadcast to disseminate his hate since the 1990s. This guy's a real piece of work. Uh, what anonymous members did not know when they started fucking with this guy was that he was an informant for the FBI, providing information on white supremacist groups for the same government he frequently railed against. Uh, and according to Hal, from December 2006 to January 2007, individuals who identified themselves as anonymous took Turner's website offline, costing him thousands of dollars in bandwidth bills. As a result, Turner sued 4chan, E-Bombs World, 7chan, and other websites for copy infringement, uh, and he didn't win shit. Uh, he did expose Anonymous to the feds, right? Because Howe was secretly working for the feds, Anonymous was put on the government's radar. And in 2007, an agent from the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, Canada's CIA, showed up at Aubrey Cottle's Toronto door, or rather at his mom's door. Cottle was 20, still living at home, Maybe jerking off when they showed up. Uh, the agent, according to Cottle, wanted him to raid internet forums for the CSIS. Anonymous had been conducting a fair amount of raids, flooding online games and chat rooms with their army of users to disrupt the space, just to be, you know, kind of dicks. Uh, when 4chan began cracking down on organizing raids, Anonymous migrated to Cottle's copycat site, 420chan, 
uh, which he'd created to discuss his principal, in principal interests, drugs and professional wrestling. <laughs> uh, Cottle became the de facto leader of Anonymous, a role he relished. Cottle turned down the CSIS's offer. Apparently, they didn't have enough on him to charge him with anything. They just wanted him to help them with some hacking. And then in late 2007, Anonymous set its sights on a new target to harass. On December 7th, 2007, the Canada-based newspaper, The Toronto Sun, publishes an article on one Chris Forcand. Forcand, who is 53, was charged with two counts of luring a child under the age of 14, uh, attempting to invite sexual touching, attempted exposure, possessing a dangerous weapon, and carrying a concealed weapon. Anonymous knew about his illegal activities before the police themselves did. How? Well, this creepy diddler had tried to molest one of the young Toronto hacking members, and they made him fucking pay for it. Love it. Uh, the Canadian media group, the Global Television Network, identified the group responsible for Forkhand's arrest as a self-described internet vigilante group called Anonymous. The article noted that this incident marked the first time that a suspected internet predator had been arrested as a result of internet vigilantism. So very cool. Hail Nimrod. Uh, by 2008, the infamous Guy Fox mask starts to show up in relation to Anonymous. Why do they uh, wear this mask? Why did they choose it? Well, they chose it simply because they loved the movie V for Vendetta. And it is a great movie. Highly recommend if you haven't seen it already. Uh, the movie is a 2005 film adaptation of a dystopian fiction Alan Moore graphic novel. Alan Moore is fantastic. Uh, v, the film's protagonist, dons the disguise to fight a future fascist police state by firebombing buildings, inverting the story of the original Guy Fox, who was vilified in English folklore for attempting to blow up Parliament in 1605. David Lloyd, the artist who illustrated the graphic novel the movie was based on, once told the New York Times that the mask was a great symbol of protest for anyone who sees tyranny. The Guy Fox mask has since become a global symbol of dissent. Uh, sometime in the late 2000s, Grammy winner and platinum record-selling member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Michael motherfucking McDonald, Triple M, records a very popular ad for Folgers Coffee. The best part of waking up is Folgers in your Some things you can count on to get you through your day. And Folgers Richard. It's one of my favorite things. Is yeah. That, you know, uh, wake up to the smell of coffee. Fuck it yeah. It represents a place where we all meet, you know, uh, course of a day <laughs> wise words wise words you're welcome what does that have to do with hacking nothing it has everything to do with being mcdonalded back to anonymous uh 2008 Anonymous members start wearing those v for vendetta guy fox masks in relation to an attack on the church of scientology Oh, here we go. Project Chinology time. The era of hacktivism begins. At its core, Project Chinology was a hacker-based protest against the Church of Scientology led by a bunch of 4chan b-board trolls. Uh, things kicked off on January 14th, 2008, when a video produced by the Church of Scientology featuring an insane and unintentionally hilarious interview with Tom Cruise was leaked to the internet and uploaded to YouTube. Such a good video. Uh, I played a little excerpt from this video back on a suck I did on Scientology four years ago. In the video, music from Cruise's Mission Impossible, uh, that film plays in the background while Cruise makes various uh, wild statements, like saying that Scientologists are the only people who can help you after a car accident, and that Scientologists are the only authority when it comes to how to get addicts off of drugs. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of this nonsense. Exactly. Yeah. Being a Scientologist, when you drive past an accident, it's not like anyone else. Uh -huh. As you drive past, 
you know you have to do something about it because you know you're the only one that can really help. Uh-huh. But that's that's what drives me is that I know that we have an opportunity and uh uh-huh. to really yeah to help. Totally. To really uh, you know, like um what's that word? Help. That's what we do, you know, Scientology. We just, you know, it's heavy, you know, we help, we help stuff. Uh, I would think a paramedic is who would you'd want to, you'd want to help you after you got into a car accident. Nope. <laughs> Just call Tom Cruise. Uh, here, one more clip from this fucking nonsense. So, like, have you met an SP? <laughs> Never get tired of that laugh. You know, and I thought, oh, what a beautiful thing, because maybe one day mm-hmm. it'll be like that. You know what I'm saying? Maybe yeah. one day it will be that. Wow, SPs, like, they'll just read about those in the history books, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, an SP is a suppressive person, by the way. Suppressive person. Scientology speak. For anyone who doesn't think uh, that the teachings of Scientology is the, uh, you know, the one and only true way to live. I'm a very suppressive person. An anonymous full of SPs. Uh, they're very suppressive. Uh, the Church of Scientology, not a fan of someone posting this video. They claim that the footage was taken out of context and manipulated. Ah, it's, just, it's just crazy. And then uh, they slapped a copyright violation claim to get YouTube to take the video down. YouTube did take it down, and then someone from Anonymous re-uploaded it under a new name. You may stop this individual, but you can't stop us all. Uh, the video I just played was uploaded by someone with Anonymous in their channel name back in 2011. Anonymous formulated Project Chinology in response to Scientology trying to make this video go away. A member of Anonymous told the LA Times that as of February 4th, 2008, the group consisted of a loose confederation of about 9,000 people who posted anonymously on the internet. Anonymous members saw the copyright actions by the Church of Scientology as censorship. Given the church's long history with combating poor press, the members started to see themselves as a vanguard against Scientology's scorched earth legal moves. Members of Project Chinology said their main goal was to enlighten the Church of Scientology by any means necessary. They created a website that stated, this will be a game of mental warfare. It will require our talkers, not our hackers. It will require our dedicated Anon across the world to do their part. Project Chinology's stated goals included the complete removal of the Church of Scientology's presence from the internet and to save people from Scientology by reversing the brainwashing. To do this, they organized a series of denial-of-service attacks against Scientology websites, as well as prank calls, and something called, uh, this would be so annoying if it happened to you years ago, uh, black faxes. Black faxes are exactly what they sound like. A faxed full page of black ink, nothing left open. It takes a long time to print, right? It gums everything up, and it wastes a ton of ink. And they can just do this to fax machines over and over and over again. Just make your fax machine, your, which a lot of times is tied to your printer, completely unusable. Super annoying, uh, fucks up doing some business. On January 21st, 2008, individuals claiming to speak for Anonymous announced their goals and intentions via a video posted to YouTube titled Message to Scientology. A subsequent press release declares war against the Church of Scientology. In the press release, the group states that the attacks against the Church of Scientology will continue in order to protect the right of freedom of speech. They also wanted to draw attention to the financial exploitation of church members. A few days later, a new video titled Call to Action appears on YouTube. This is on January 28th, 2008. Uh, the video calls for protests outside of various Church of Scientology centers. And just a few days later, the protests began. On February 2nd, 2008, 150 people gather outside of a Church of Scientology center in Orlando, Florida, protesting the organization's practices. 
and they wear those Guy Fox masks. Uh, or otherwise, you know, disguise their identities to protect themselves from reprisals from the church. Small protests also held in Santa Barbara, California, Manchester, England. Then on February 10th, 2008, 2008 about 7,000 people protest Scientology in about 93 cities worldwide. Anonymous holds another wave of protests against Scientology March 15th, 2008 in cities all over the world. People gather in Boston, Dallas, Chicago, Los Angeles, London, Paris, Vancouver, Toronto, Berlin, Dublin, many other cities. The global turnout estimated to be around 8,000 people. The Church of Scientology is under attack. And on March 28th, 2008, they may have fought back online. That day, JavaScript code was maliciously injected into the Epilepsy Foundation of America's web forums to generate animations that would trigger epileptic seizures. Wee bit fucked up. Uh, Ryan Fultz, a 33-year-old woman who suffered from pattern-sensitive epilepsy, clicked on a forum post with a legitimate-sounding title that day, then her browser window resized to fill her screen, which was then taken over by a pattern of squares rapidly flashing in different colors, and she had a seizure. An anonymous was blamed for the attack. Members of the epilepsy forum claimed they found a thread in which the attack was being planned at 4chan. But 4chan administrators said they believed the attack was done by the Church of Scientology who were trying to make it look like the attack was done by Anonymous to harm their reputation. It's a cyber war, baby! A third wave of protests against Scientology, uh, or maybe a fourth amount to now, takes place on April 12, 2008. Named Operation Reconnect, it aimed to increase awareness of the Church of Scientology's disconnection policy. Uh, the policy basically amounts to the Church pressuring people to discontinue their associations with anyone in their lives that could potentially become hostile to Scientology, right? People labeled again as like Tom Cruise was talking about those SPs, those suppressive persons. Uh, okay, going forward in the timeline now, I will not list out every single cyber attack uh, credited to Anonymous to keep this timeline from being incredibly boring and repetitive. Also, because of the nature of a hacking group like this, it is impossible to fully verify which attacks are in fact carried out by Anonymous uh, because some of these attacks could have been carried out by a different hacking group just claiming to be anonymous. Uh, there is still debate over how organized or unorganized this group is or has ever been. Has it primarily been one group of hackers coordinating attacks, or has it been a revolving door of random hackers hiding behind the anonymous banner? We will never know for sure. Uh, anonymous gets more press in September of 2008. Shortly after midnight on September 16th, the private Yahoo mail account of former Alaska governor Sarah Palin is hacked by a 4chan user. At this time, Palin was running, uh, you know, with John McCain for the 2008 presidential bid. She was the vice, you know, presidential candidate. McCain had announced that he'd chosen Palin, Palin, excuse me, on August 29th in Dayton, Ohio, making her the first Alaskan, second woman to run on a major U.S. party ticket. The hacker known as Rubico claimed he had read Palin's personal emails because he was looking for something that would, quote, derail her campaign. But he didn't find anything. Uh, Rubico reported that all he found was some personal stuff and some clerical stuff from when she was governor. Rubico claimed he used the Sarah Palin, uh, Palin, God, I always want to say Palin. He used the Sarah Palin Wikipedia article to find Palin's birth date, one of the standard security questions used by Yahoo. And a minute later, he'd taken over her account. And then he posted the account's password on 4chan's B-board. Rubico also posted screenshots from the account to WikiLeaks. So uh, he didn't actually accomplish anything as far as political derailing, but, you know, people were uh, scared that it was so easy for him to hack into a high-profile person's account. In 2009, in January, hackers claiming to be anonymous find another interesting target, a California teenager named McKay Hatch, who ran a website against profanity called the No Cussing Club. <laughs> this is just silly. Hatch's home address, phone number, other personal inf information was spread across the internet, 
Over the following years, his poor family received hate mail, excuse me, obscene phone calls and frequent deliveries, mostly of pizza and pornography. <laughs> this poor kid. I would love to think otherwise, but uh, had I had the talent to hack and been a teenager in 2009, I would have absolutely used my hacking skills to do shit like send porn to some other teen who I just didn't like. Some teen who started a, a club called the No Cussing Club. I wonder if he ever finally cussed when more and more porn and pizza just kept showing you know, up at his door. Pizza delivery. Oh, gosh dang. Fifth time today. Oh, my heck. What is it now? Hey, McKay, uh, I got three extra large meat lovers. Uh, that'll be 35 bucks. Oh, flippin' heck, Peter. You know, golly darn well, I didn't order these. Heavens to Betsy. Oh, no. What are these magazines laying in front of the door? Uh, looks like copies of uh, Swank, uh, Barely Legal, Club 17, uh, Asian Babes, uh, Jugs. What the flip? These naughty bit picture books aren't mine. You know that. Please get off my porch, Peter. And take these harlot self-pleasure mags with you. Burn them before Satan used them to steal your heart and soul. Uh, all right, McKay. All right, man. I'm, I'm sure I'll, uh, I'll like, see you tomorrow or something. And then, like, 20 minutes later. Pizza delivery. Ah, cord nuts! This is six time today. What is it? Hey, McKay. Hey, Rodrigo. Hey, I got three medium Hawaiians, uh, four extra large, uh, you know, cheese stuffed crust, uh, 17 orders of uh, breadsticks, a dozen liter uh, Dr. Pepper. Uh, it's going to be $185. Now fudge me in the face, Peter! Rodrigo, I don't even know who I'm at. I'm so discombobulated. Gee whiz, I'm flipping peeved. Oh no! Why are there more Dirty Bits magazines out here? What, what even are these, Rodrigo? Uh, these look like copies of Asian Fever, uh, Black Inches, uh, Big Titties and Small Holes, uh, Bounding Gagged, uh, Man Shots, uh, Cum Slappers, uh, Dirty Britches, and Naughty Bitches. God damn it, Peter! I'm losing my motherfucking mind with all this porn and pizza! Or Rodrigo, fuck, fuck, Rodrigo, fuck Peter, fuck Anonymous, fuck everybody and their tight-shaved assholes. Oh, gosh dang. Oh, sorry, Rodrigo. I I don't know what came over me. I just crisscrossed spaghetti sauce. It's been, it's been a real rough few weeks, you know? Uh, if you're worried about the real uh, McKay Hatch, he's fine. He seems fine. I looked into him. Uh, based on his IG account, uh, he's doing all right. And he's still not cussing, just so you know. Uh, he just posted a picture of himself uh, from about a week ago. Wearing a hoodie that has shut the front door, print on the front. So those pizzas, that porn, nah, they didn't break him. Uh, things got more serious international for anonymous hacktivists in the summer of 2009. Anonymous turns away from cyberbullying now, turns to try to protect free speech and democracy. The results of the June 2009 Iranian presidential election had declared incumbent President Mahmoud uh, Ahmadinejad. Oh my God. Ahmadinejad. There we go. I did it. Ahmadinejad, the winner, but allegations that the election had been rigged quickly followed. Thousands of Iranians protested. And the Iranian government responded by blocking opposition websites and other media, as well as disrupting mobile phone connections. Anonymous working with the uh, BitTorrent file sharing website, the Pirate Bay, and various Iranian hackers launched an Iranian green movement support site called Anonymous Iran, which provided users with advice forums to fight government censorship. So very cool, very different than... Uh, Throwing porn and pizzas that some kid doesn't want to cuss. Uh, they also encourage Iranian users to use distributed denial of service attacks in order to take down key Iranian government websites. Ultimately, unfortunately, uh, they would not change the outcome of anything, though. But at least they tried to do something about uh, President Mahmoud there. Uh, no November 2009 would see the first person sent to jail for participating in an anonymous attack. 
His name was Dimitri Guzner, an American 19-year-old. Guzner was arrested after a YouTube video of a real-life protest that mentioned his internet handle, Andy, caught the attention of federal authorities. The FBI and the U.S. Secret Service worked together to identify Andy as Guzner. They searched his home in Brooklyn, found one of those uh, Guy Fox masks. He pled guilty to unauthorized impairment of a protected computer in November of 2009 and was sentenced to 366 days in a U.S. federal prison. Cyber attacking Scientology is what got that guy in trouble. <laughs> Tom Cruise loving it. On February 10th, 2010, Anonymous launches Operation Titstorm. Hail Lucifina. Not making up that name. Such a great name. God, it sounds like something DJ Iceberg would say to promote some kind of, uh, I don't know, live wet t-shirt contest. It's so big. Yeah, that's just the tip. DJ Iceberg. Hey there, rock listeners. Join me, DJ Iceberg, down at the Three Amigos Bar and Grill in the corner of East Sprague and Helena this Friday night at 9 p.m. for Operation Tintstorm. It's a wet t-shirt contest, and I'll be the judge. Motorboat bribes accepted and appreciated. The winner gets a Three Amigos $100 gift certificate and two tickets to Lucky Jack's Casino next Saturday night to watch Striper. Uh, Operation Titstorm was actually a cyber attack on the Australian government. (laughs) Uh, It's the best name. The Australian government had decided to crack down on pornography, specifically pornography featuring women with small breasts and female ejaculation. Their rationale was that porn featuring these images was more likely to feature underage actors. Anonymous sees this crackdown as freedom attacking censorship. At 8 a.m. on February 10th, 2010, Operation Titstorm is launched. Anonymous hackers use, again, those denial-of-service attacks on various Australian government websites. Australian anti-censorship groups then complain that the attack only hurt their cause. Australian government members dismissed the attack and said that they would just restore the service when the attack was over. And that's what they did. The attack did not do much, but was worth mentioning because, you know, Operation Titstorm. Uh, Operation Payback is a bitch. Uh, commences in September of 2010. Sorry, I, I paused weird there. It's uh, The operation is payback is a bitch. Uh, it started when the MPAA, Motion Picture Association of America, and the RIAA, Recording Industry Association of America, hired the Indian software firm Aplex to launch DDoS attacks on the Pirate Bay and other websites related to file sharing. In retaliation, Anonymous posted the following. Operation payback is a bitch. Date, September 19th, 2010. To whom it may concern. This is to inform you that we, anonymous, you know what? I need some music for this. I can't just, I can't just read this straight. Let's get that, let's get that hacking music back on. Fuck yeah. We, anonymous, or organizing an operation called Payback is a bitch. Anonymous will be attacking the RIAA, the MPAA, and their hired gun, Aplex, for attacks against the popular torrent and file sharing site, the Pirate Bay. We will prevent users to access said enemy sites and we will keep them down for as long as we can. But why, you ask? Anonymous is tired of corporate interests controlling the internet and silencing the people's right to spread information, but more importantly, the right to share with one another. The RIAA and the MPAA feign to aid the artists and their cause, yet they do no such thing. Uh, They do, actually. In their eyes is not hope, only dollar signs. Anonymous will not stand this any longer. We wish you the best of luck. Sincerely, Anonymous, we are Legion. 
Uh, and then Anonymous executed DDoS attacks on the MPAA, the RIA, and Aplex. And oh boy, you can really see the age of these hackers come through based on a lot of their uh, recent target choices here, right? Try and take away their online porn, they're going to come for you. Try and take away free movies and music that they want to download and just not fucking pay for, they come for you and make up some weird bullshit to rationalize their theft. <laughs> not exactly looking like serious revolutionaries with some of these attacks. December of 2010, Anonymous gets a little more serious again, and they go after MasterCard, Visa, PayPal, the Bank, uh, Bank of America, and Amazon. That December, the document Super Archive WikiLeaks would come under fire. WikiLeaks was ordered to stop publishing U.S. military secrets. And when they didn't, MasterCard, Visa, PayPal, the Bank of America, uh, Amazon, all blocked charitable donations to their site. In response, Anonymous announced its support for WikiLeaks, and then Anonymous launched DDoS attacks against these companies. Due to the attacks, both MasterCard and Visa's websites were taken down on December 8th. Anonymous also launched Operation Avenge Assange, an attack that brought down his Swedish prosecutor's website. This was done in response to WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange's arrest in London. December 17th, 2010, the Tunisian Revolution, also known as the Jasmine Revolution, begins in Tunisia. This would be a big moment for hacktivism in the world. Demonstrations started because of high unemployment, food inflation, corruption, lack of political freedom, and poor living conditions. An intensive 28-day campaign of civil resistance included a series of street demonstrations that led to the ousting of longtime President Zine El Abidine Ben Ali. Following these demonstrations, Tunisia would have free elections. The protests inspired similar actions throughout the Arab world in a chain reaction that would become known as the Arab Spring Movement. And Anonymous would play an important role in the regime changes to come. Uh, starting on January 2nd, uh, 2011, websites for the Tunisian Stock Exchange and the Tunisian Ministry of Industry were brought down by anonymous DDoS attacks. The Tunisian government had tried to restrict the internet access of its citizens. Anonymous was not having it. By the 6th, uh, Tunisia had arrested a variety of bloggers and cyber activists who had been critical of its government. Protests followed, culminated in the fleeing of President Ben Ali on January 14th, 2011, ending the Tunisian revolution. Uh, this was a victory, and Anonymous really helped. This was huge. Ali would be sentenced in abs uh, absentia to life imprisonment and would die in exile in 2019. On January 26, 2011, the Egyptian government became Anonymous's next target. Efforts started with the intention of removing Egyptian President Hosni uh, Mubarak from power. When the government blocked their citizens from accessing Twitter, Anonymous brought down Egyptian government websites with DDoS attacks. The sites remained offline until President Hosni uh, Mubarak stepped down. He would do so on February 11th, another victory that Anonymous had a hand in. During the protests that led to his resignation, Anonymous provided protesters with documents required to take down the incumbent government, incumbent government, as well as distributing digital care packages uh, that had, among other things, uh, Tor, used to access the dark web, and a grease monkey script to avoid proxy interception by the government. They also aided in passing information about the protests in and out of the country. The revolutions in Egypt and Tunisia were the first in what would become the Arab Spring. In response to oppressive regimes and a low standard of living, revolutions spread to five after Tunisia, five other countries, Libya, Egypt, Yemen, Syria, and Bahrain. In support of the Arab Spring protests, Anonymous also released the names and passwords of the email and email addresses of Middle Eastern government officials. Countries targeted included officials from Bahrain, Egypt, Jordan, and Morocco. So big wins for Anonymous hacktivism here. They weren't just fucking around with teens who didn't like profanity. They weren't just going after people who wanted to take away some of their sweet porn. They were also helping uh, topple autocratic regimes. Right now, they're looking like true revolutionaries again. 
In 2011, hacking groups like Anonymous are big news. They seem invincible. Hacking proliferates. Members of Anonymous go off to form splinter groups like the infamous Lulz Sec. Lulz Sec would become notorious for successfully breaking into a number of corporations and police servers, disabling government security sites, stealing sensitive information such as credit card details, and defacing commercial websites. On the weekend of February 5th, 2011, Anonymous flexes its power yet again. Aaron Barr, the chief executive of the IT security firm HB Gary Federal, announces that his firm has successfully infiltrated Anonymous and is going to take them down. He says he will reveal his findings at a later conference in San Francisco. And he done did poke the bear. Oh, shit. He done did poke the wrong fucking bear. Whole legion of bears wearing Guy Fox masks. And it will tear him to shreds. In retaliation for Barr's claims, Anonymous hacks the website of H.B. Gary Federal, replaces the welcome page with a message stating that Anonymous should not be fucked with. Then Anonymous takes control of the company's email. They dump 68,000 emails from the system, erase additional files, take down their phone system. Uh, the documents they leaked revealed sensitive information. Among the documents was a PowerPoint presentation entitled The WikiLeaks Threat. H.B. Gary was trying to figure out how to attack WikiLeaks. Their plans included cyber attacks, disinformation, getting journalists to deny their support for WikiLeaks. Anonymous is pissed off. They loved WikiLeaks. Anonymous then personally attacks Aaron Barr by taking control of his Twitter account and posting his home address and social security number for anyone who wants to see it. Anonymous also clogs up H.P. Gary Federal's fax machines for weeks with those black faxes. Uh, then they make a series of harassing and threatening phone calls to the company. To make it all end, Aaron Barr resigns on February 28th. He didn't take down Anonymous. Anonymous took him down. They fucking destroyed his career. Uh, back in 2011, Anonymous was at the height of their power. They were certainly not to be fucked with. Anonymous announces their intent to tax Sony websites on April 20th, 2011, in response to Sony's lawsuit against a man named George Holtz. Holtz was a hacker and a hip-hop artist and software engineer. Sony's PlayStation Network banned user Geohot, who was Holtz, for jailbreaking and modifying his PS3 console. Geohot attracted Sony's attention by posting info about how to mod PS3s to the internet. Sony uh, fires back with a libel lawsuit. Sony had gained access to the IP addresses of all the people who visited George Holtz's blog. Anonymous didn't like that. They said it was a violation of free speech and internet freedom. Throughout April, the PlayStation Network and various Sony websites are brought down via organized DDoS attacks took a number of weeks until the PlayStation Network was operating normally again. Uh, cost them an untold amount of money. Uh, June 12, 2011, there was another DDoS attack on the website of the Spanish police, starting at 2130 uh, GMT. Anonymous claimed responsibility the following day, stating that the attack was a direct response to the Friday arrest of three individuals alleged to be associated with acts of cyber civil disobedience attributed to Anonymous. The site was down for approximately, for approximately an hour as a result of their efforts. On June 5th, 2011, Operation Malaysia began as the group launched attacks on 91 websites of the Malaysian government. This was in response to the Malaysian government's censorship of websites like WikiLeaks and the Pirate Bay uh, fighting that old censorship fight, right? Also advocating for the illegal downloading of copyright music and movies. Anonymous continues to vacillate back and forth between you know, being revolutionaries and being just angsty teens who just don't want to pay for their fucking movies. In early August, Anonymous hacks the Syrian Defense Ministry website, replaces it with a vector image of pre-Baathist, uh, that flag, a symbol of the pro-democracy movement in the country. 
They also put up a message supporting the 2011 Syrian uprising and call on members of the Syrian army to defect and protest or, and protect the protesters. Again, no change came from this, but they tried to help. Got to give them some points there. That same month, the Bay Area Rapid Transit in San Francisco shuts down cell service in an attempt to disconnect protesters demonstrating against the recent shooting of two men by BART police and prevent them from assembling. Anonymous would intervene. Anonymous sends out a mass email slash fax bomb to BART personnel and organizes multiple mass physical protests at the network's Civic Center station. Anonymous also hacks the BART website, releasing the personal information of 102 BART police officers as well as account information for about 2,000 customers. Also in August 2011, in an event dubbed Shooting Sheriff Saturday, Anonymous hacks into 70 mostly rural law enforcement websites and releases 10 gigabytes of leaked information in response to other police shootings. The name likely a reference to the song, I Shot the Sheriff by Bob Marley. On August 16th, 2011, they're busy. Anonymous launches Operation Pharisee. This time, the target is the Vatican and the Pope's official websites. The goal? To, pro to protest sexual abuse at the hands of priests and the Catholic Church's cover-up of this abuse. Uh, nice name, since Pharisee can mean a self-righteous hypocrite. Uh, the attack lines up with the Catholic Church's World Youth Day event, which was held that year starting on August 16th in Madrid, Spain. But Anonymous would not be successful. The Vatican had hired a cybersecurity company called Imperva to protect their networks. Despite a barrage of 34 times the normal traffic from Anonymous's denial-of-service attacks, Imperva manages to keep Anonymous from doing any damage. And who was running Imperva at that time? Dog the fucking bounty hunter. Uh, no, no, he's busy tackling meth abusers in Hawaii for A&E. Uh, on August 23rd, 2011, Anonymous expresses support of the Occupy Wall Street movement with the video post on YouTube. From September 17th on, Anonymous and Anonymous supporters cover the movement on Anonymous-related blogs. Excuse me. Protesters in person, often seen wearing the Guy Fox mask. On October 2011, or in October, anonymous campaigns against child pornography. Their specific target was users of child pornography protected by anonymous hosting techniques. This is called Operation Darknet. They temporarily take down 40 child porn sites and publish the usernames, I fucking love this, of over 1,500 people frequenting one such website. They write, uh, if the FBI, Interpol, or other law enforcement agencies should happen to come across this list, Please use it to investigate and bring justice to the people listed here. Love it. Like a lot of people, these hackers are all about protecting individual liberties until you start diddling kids or consuming content based on kid diddling. Then, well, fuck your liberties. Uh, too bad Anonymous could not take down Jeffrey Epstein. After a few more cyber battles, Anonymous wrapped up 2011 and then kicked off 2012 with the bang. In January, Anonymous hacked the website of the California Statewide Law Enforcement Association, to protest police brutality. Anonymous released the names, addresses, and phone numbers of members of the California Association. They also posted credit card information taken from the association's online gift store. They called it Project Mayhem. And they, pro and they posted the following as their reasoning. California police have a notorious history of brutality and therefore have been on our hit list for a good minute now. The CSLEA would call them terrorists for their actions. I gotta say, not a big fan of this hack. Uh, they didn't do any research to find cops with multiple complaints of brutality. They just unleashed all the names they found. Uh, they just threw odds are a lot more good cops than bad cops under the same bus. And I know many of you disagree with my law enforcement stance and issues uh, like this or instances like this, and I've made it clear before. So, you know, I'll move on for the moment. Uh, January 19th, 2012, Operation Mega Upload begins. 
This time, Anonymous is protesting Hong Kong's closure of the file-sharing service Mega Upload after Hong Kong authorities arrested four workers. Anonymous DDoS, uh, you know, uh, Anonymous, excuse me, Anonymous DDoS is the websites of UMG, a company that was suing Mega Upload. They also crashed the websites belonging to the U.S. Department of Justice, uh, the U.S. State, uh, the U.S. Copyright Office, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the MPAA, uh, Warner Brothers Music, the RIAA, uh, the French H-A-D-O-P-I, an acronym for a French government organization I'm not even going to try to pronounce today. Uh, the U.S. House of Representatives had also just recently passed the Stop Online Piracy Act, and Anonymous was pissed. Also, the U.S. Senate was working on the Protect Intellectual Property Act. How dare the U.S. government protect the intellectual products of people like, uh, well, you know, me. Uh, not at all behind Anonymous's continued stance on piracy. Just buy your fucking movies. Just buy your music. Just buy comedy albums, you assholes. <laughs> right? Take, it costs money to make that shit. And, and, and this is coming from a, a former chronic shoplifter. All right? It's, it's, it's stealing whether you do it in a store or you do it online. Come on, it's no different. January 21st, 2012, a series of DDoS attacks on the Polish government websites take place. Anonymous was allegedly furious that members of the Polish government had recently wanted to start meeting indoors to no longer live in caves in the forest or under bridges. They wanted to learn how to read, write, try and use computers. Uh, JK, gosh dang. No, no. Uh, via their Twitter account, Anonymous stated the attacks had been revenge for the upcoming signing of the anti-counterfeiting trade agreement by the Polish government. Once again, they are attacking legislation aimed at protecting intellectual property. Uh, they targeted the Polish prime minister, president, Ministry of Culture, and National Heritage, and they shut down numerous websites. Anonymous went after the police's websites, the Internal Security Agency, uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Uh, they shut down the websites of a number of Polish political parties. The ensuing media coverage brought Anonymous a lot of attention. The attention increased when Anonymous blacked out popular Polish websites entirely on the 24th, a whole bunch of them. The attacks did lead to Poland uh, abandoning the legislation, but it was passed in numerous other nations. It really didn't do much other than just fucking harass Poland for no, for no reason. On February 6, 2012, Anonymous breaks into the mail server of the Syrian Ministry of Presidential Affairs, and they gain access to some 78 inboxes of Bashar al-Assad's staffers. Embarrassingly, one of the passwords commonly used by Assad's office was 12345. Nice. Uh, a few months later, in July 2012, Anonymous would give over 2.4 million Syrian government emails to WikiLeaks. Four days later, Anonymous fucks with the CIA. On February 10th, 2012, Anonymous claims responsibility for taking down the CIA's website for more than five hours. Uh, doesn't seem they were able to steal any documents, not that the CIA would tell us if they did, just able to crash the site with those DDoS attacks. And then two weeks later, some members of Anonymous are arrested. Anonymous now had poked the wrong bear. Not likely to fuck with the CIA and embarrass it and get away with that. On February 28th, Interpol announces they've arrested 25 suspected members of the hacking activist group Anonymous in Europe and South America. And within hours, Anonymous strikes back, uh, shutting down Interpol's website for a moment. Again, though, no documents were stolen as far as we know. No damage caused, at least as no damage that they're letting us know about. So possibly not much of a victory, just another flex. On March 7, 2012, Anonymous once again turns their eyes towards the Vatican. They go after the Vatican's main website. They launch another DDoS attack. They do knock the website down, but it's back up later the same day. Uh, and then Anonymous would uh, go after the church again. Five days later, they strike the Vatican site on March 12, 2012. Bring it down for a few more hours. Another DDoS attack. Uh, they also hack into Vatican Radio, gaining access to Vatican Radio, their, their database. What did all this accomplish, though? Uh, did it expose any pedophile priests? 
Sadly, no. Uh, the majority of their cyber attacks don't actually do any lasting damage. They're just super fucking annoying. They just irritate whoever the target is. Uh, a for effort on this one, though. 10 days later, on March 22nd, Anonymous launches a more serious attack. This time, the target is the Judge Rottenberg Center in Canton, Massachusetts. The Judge Rottenberg Center is a day in residential school for people with developmental disabilities, emotional disorders, and behaviors associated with autism spectrum disorder. So why would Anonymous go after them? Well, a video was leaked of a boy being tortured at the JRC by a staff member. Uh, a video eventually played on CNN. The school, which still exists, uh, also legally tortured hundreds of other students, and five patients have died there over the years in suspicious ways and in ways uh, that many think was due to improper treatment and abuse. The school was known for its use of the graduated electronic decelerator, a device that administrators used to uh, you know, shock, shock kids through a remote control. The device was designed by Matthew Israel, the school's founder. Anonymous made a YouTube video to reveal to the center and all their affiliates were now, were now in their sites. Anonymous then hacked the JRC's website, publicly posted the names and addresses of JRC's sponsors, lobbyists, lawyers, and supporters, as well as the founder and principal himself. Uh, they didn't get the place closed down, but guessing they did get this school to pay a lot more attention to how they treat patients going forward. In April 2012, Anonymous hacks 485 Chinese government websites, almost 500 sites, to protest the treatment of their citizens. They urge people to fight for justice, fight for freedom, fight for democracy. 2012 would also see sites run by India, Quebec, Cyprus, Australia, uh, Myanmar, the Philippines, Japan, and more hacked. On August 13th, 2012, Anonymous hacks two Uganda government websites to protest the country's strict anti-gay laws. Anonymous posted the following message on Prime Minister Amamba Mabizi's website. Gotta get my techno music going again. Your violations of the rights of LGBT people have disgusted us. All people have the right to live in dignity, free from the repression of someone else's political and religious beliefs. You should be proud of your LGBT citizens because they clearly have more balls than you will ever have. Real Ugandan pride is demonstrated in standing up to oppression despite fearing the abuse, torture, and murder inflicted on LGBT at the hands of your corrupt government. So, you know, hail Nimrod. Uh, sadly, homosexuality is still illegal in Uganda. Take this, this is so fucking barbaric. People found guilty of any of the three different charges for homosexuality, which just include just, you know, being in a homosexual relationship with another consenting adult, uh, can be punished and are punished with life in prison. So absurd. Uh, sadly, Uganda is backwards as fuck in many ways. Uh, Anonymous would once again return its sites to Hong Kong in fall of 2012. The hacktivists attack Hong Kong's National Education Center in mid-September, which had established a moral and national education curriculum for children from 6 to 18 years of age. The new syllabus came under heavy criticism and international media attention because it was frankly a whole bunch of bullshit. It didn't grade students based on how much factual information they learned. Instead, students were graded based on the level of their emotional attachment to the Communist Party of China. Nice. Uh, many, both in Hong Kong and in the international community, accused the curriculum of being nothing more than brainwashing because, you know, that's what it is. Critics thought it was a plot by the Chinese government to indoctrinate the city's youth into unquestioning support of the CCP. And they thought that because that's what it was. Anonymous found this to be in violation of free speech and freedom of expression. They leaked gov uh, classified government documents, took down the National Education Center's website, revealing all of this in a video posted to YouTube. Uh, Anonymous's, Anonymous's final act of a very busy 2012 
was to repost the names, addresses, and emails of prominent members of the Westboro Baptist Church. Hail Nimrod! Those fucking idiots. Uh, They did this on December 16th, responding to the WBC's plans to picket the funerals of the victims of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. And they were going to protest that because they are pieces of shit. Then Anonymous hacked the church's website, found church members' personal social media accounts, and started a whitehouse.org petition to get the WBC legally termed a hate group. Well done, Anonymous, doing some good shit again. Instead of just trying to get free music and movies. On January 13th, 2013, the website belonging to the Mexican army is hacked by Anonymous. All the information found on the hack servers is disclosed, including usernames and passwords. Uh, Once again, Anonymous claims to be retaliating against an oppressive government who had gotten power illegally. Uh, January 2013, the group attacks and defaces the U.S. Sentencing Commission website. In a manifesto left on the defaced page, the group demanded reform to the American justice system and what the activists said are threats to the free flow of information. And then they crashed the website. All this was done in protest of the suicide of Reddit co-founder and activist Aaron Schwartz. Oh, this is a sad story. Uh, Schwartz was accused of stealing materials from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology with the intent with the intent to distribute them freely. Uh, Aaron Schwartz, very interesting, very impressive guy. Uh, seemed like he was never really a kid. He was a genius right out the gate. Uh, while kids his age were finishing potty training, he was reading full books as a toddler. Uh, in 1999, when he was just 13, he created the website, theinfo.org, a collaborative online library. Uh, he was just 14 years old when he started working on creating RSS feeds, just 14. And this podcast and every podcast you listen to makes it from a host server to your device thanks to an RSS feed. Each podcast has a unique RSS feed. So thank you, Aaron Schwartz. Hail Aaron Schwartz. Uh, When other RSS feed uh, creators realized one of their colleagues, an important colleague, was a 14-year-old, they were shocked that he had been, uh, you know, such an integral part of the project. Uh, He would speak at computer conferences as a teen, not as a passing attraction, but as a legit inventor who was pushing technology forward. He uh, he would have to stand on boxes to reach the podiums. Even standing on a box, his uh, computer would still cover his face. He was just a kid. Schwartz was one of the early architects of Creative Commons and a developer of the Internet Archive's Open Library, a free book database, and a digital library open to the public. Big believer in just sharing education, right? That's such a fucking cool thing. Uh, hopefully, he would have liked uh, Time Suck. He founded a software company called Infogami, which would later merge with Reddit. Schwartz then became a co-owner of Reddit. Schwartz played a significant role in making government and academic data available to the public, and he would suffer greatly for his efforts. In 2011, Schwartz was accused of using an MIT computer system to download numerous academic articles from the online archive JSTOR. JSTOR charges money for academic papers. I have an account. I use JSTOR for time suck research. Schwartz didn't like this information existing behind a paywall. He argued that the people who wrote the papers, who did the research, rarely saw a penny of the money that JSTOR made. And he decided that all of JSTOR's information should be free for everyone. And then JSTOR... Uh, actually decided once he got caught for this to not pursue charges against him. Uh, JSTOR even asked the government not to prosecute him, but they did anyway. Schwartz would be made an example of, uh, especially given the re- recent rise of cybercrime. And I think this is super fucked up. If JSTOR had wanted to press charges, well, then you get what you get, right? It's not your decision to decide if a private company should have their information be out there for free or not, right? That's uh, their choice. But in a, non, in a non-violent theft situation, if the person or entity you have taken from, in this case, JSTOR, makes it very, very clear that they do not want to press charges, 
that they do not want charges to be, you know, pursued against you, then I think the government should back the fuck off. If the adult victims do not feel victimized, then how how hurtful is the crime really? Why pursue criminal charges? But they wanted just to make an example of him. Uh, Schwartz would pay for the sins of other hackers. He was indicted by federal prosecutors for 13 felony charges. One of the brightest, most productive minds of our time, now looking down the barrel of several decades in federal prison. Prosecutors bent on heavily punishing Schwartz refused all of the settlement offers that did not include jail time. They required Schwartz to plead guilty to felony charges. The case was pending when Schwartz died at age 26 on January 11, 2013. His girlfriend would find him dead in his apartment, the cause of death hanging, uh, you know, apparently a suicide. In the weeks leading up to his death, it seemed as though he was looking at 35 years in prison and around a million dollars in fines. And if he really was going to be given 35 years in prison, how truly fucked up, right? Dude released academic information to the public. Why was it even an option for him to get more prison time than many who have committed murder or rape, armed robbery, et cetera? Our justice system in so many ways is fucking absurd. Uh, his family and supporters accused overzealous prosecutors and the excessive charges he faced of driving him to suicide. Taryn Steinbrickner Kaufman, Schwartz's girlfriend at the time, would say, I believe that Aaron's death was caused by a criminal justice system that prioritizes power over mercy, vengeance over justice, a system that punishes innocent people for trying to prove their innocence instead of accepting plea deals that mark them as criminals in perpetuity, a system where incentives and power structures align for prosecutors to destroy the life of an innovator like Aaron in the pursuit of their own ambitions. Yeah, very well said. And again, I'm not saying he didn't do something illegal, and I don't think he should have done what he did. I don't think it was his call to make. But man, the punishment does not fit the crime there. Since his death, Schwartz's case has inspired proposed amendments to the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. He was also posthumously, hopefully I'm saying that right. I know I fucked that word up in the past, <laughs> awarded the American Library Association's James Madison, James Madison Award. For, uh, I think it's posthumously. Okay. I, one of those ways is right. I felt confident about it when I saw it on the written page. Now I'm like, I don't know. Anyway, he was, given, he was given the American Library Association's James Madison Award for being an outspoken advocate for public participation in government and unrestricted access to peer-reviewed scholarly articles. And, and I'm just going to randomly really quick uh, defend my pronunciation stuff. But people have brought this up before, but it is true. I don't like watching very many shows. And I legitimately almost never watch like the news. Uh, I, I read a lot. I watch very little. <laughs> and when you read far more than you watch, you know, you just... You don't hear the sounds. You're just like, oh, I know what they're, I know what they mean. I know what that means. <laughs> I think I can say it. Nope. Uh, there's a lot to this guy's story. Hard to do it justice here today. Such a sad, strange story in the middle of this interesting tale. Uh, back to the timeline. February 3rd, 2013, Anonymous hacks the Federal Reserve. Anonymous posted the login credentials of over 4,600 banking executives to a government website on Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> the page with the URL file name, oops, we did it again, remained accessible until early the following morning. So that's a, a big flex. It's the fact that they could get into the Fed Reserve. Uh, on April 2nd, 2013, Anonymous would take aim at one of its biggest targets yet, North Korea. It launched a new initiative called Operation Free Korea. The group demanded the resignation of North Korea's psychotic dictator, Kim Jong-un, along with the instatement of democracy and free elections. So uh, pretty lofty demands. Other demands included the termination of North Korea's nuclear program and free internet access for North Korea's citizens. If these conditions were not met, Anonymous said they would hold Kim Jong-un down and fuck him. Uh, no, they said, that they, <laughs> they said that they would use 
their access to the country's local networks, mail servers, and web servers and wage war. Uh, the event didn't amount to much, though. Bummer. Instead, a picture posted on North Korea's Flickr site showed Kim's face with a pig-like snout and a drawing of Mickey Mouse on his chest. So, you know, they didn't, they didn't quite reach their goal. Uh, the text beneath the image read, threatening world peace with ICBMs and nuclear weapons, wasting money while his people starve to death. Would have been one of the most incredible events of the past several decades, if not the past century, if the hacking group would have taken down the North Korean government. Maybe it'll happen in the future. Uh, maybe more revolutions will be fought online. I, I think they will. On June 7th, 2013, Anonymous hacks the National Security Agency of the United States. Yep, they hacked fucking NSA. The documents they stole and released were mostly related to PRISM, codename for a scary surveillance program and supporting operations. Mostly date from around 2008, not long after PRISM was initiated. Uh, PRISM was essentially a covert collaboration between the NSA, FBI, and many major telephone and computer companies like Verizon, Microsoft, and more. PRISM allowed the government unprecedented access to your personal information for at least six years, access that the government probably still has. Did Anonymous stop this from happening? No, but they did at least expose it. So A for effort again. Uh, I've had a hard time decide, deciding where I stand on surveillance issues like this. On the one hand, they can stop major acts of terrorism before they happen. But on the other hand, right, in the wrong hands, they could allow a totalitarian regime to just fucking own you. Uh, I see both sides. But uh, today, I got to say, I stand on the side of get the fuck out of my business, Uncle Sam. The cons of surveillance, I feel like, outweigh the pros. Right? It just allows for way too much governmental power and control. And then in the name of public safety, right, surveillance like this degrades our freedom substantially. No thank you, big government. Thank you, Anonymous, for, for trying to at least expose this. Uh, November 5th, 2013 would mark the first million masks march on Guy Fawkes Day. It was a show of Anonymous's real physical numbers and the numbers of their supporters as people flooded the streets of London in Anonymous masks, uh, kind of. They didn't really flood the streets. They, they, they showed up. Uh, the numbers were not overwhelming. No article seemed to reference the number of protesters because I think it would just kind of uh, leave you with a, oh, I thought it was going to be more than that. Uh, based on some BBC footage, it looks like maybe a couple hundred people showed up in London. Uh, I'm thinking the real hackers stayed at home, right? Why risk arrest? Uh, these gatherings have continued each year on Guy Fawkes Day in cities worldwide. The goal of all this, as stated on a UK Million Mask March Facebook page, was to see positive change in the world. They wrote... We have seen the abuses and malpractice of this government and governments before it. We have seen the encroaching destruction of many civil liberties. Civil liberties we hold dear. We have seen the pushes to make the internet yet another part of the surveillance state. We have seen the government's disregard for migrants, for the poor, the elderly, and the disabled. We have seen the capital, profit, and greed of the few put before the well-being of the many, and we say enough is enough. And one more thing, McKay Hatch, if you're seeing this, more pizza, more porns coming to you, you no-cussing motherfucker. No, they didn't say that last part, but they, uh, but they said the rest of it. Uh, that reference to surveillance state, it's pretty scary, right? It makes me think of The Matrix, Orwell's 1984. Don't want to give Uncle Sam uh, the means to become big brother. Yeah, definitely feeling more and more against government surveillance. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, January 7th, 2015, two French Muslim brothers, Saeed Sharif Kouachi, forced their way into the offices of the French satirical weekly newspaper, Charlie Hebdo, in Paris. They opened fire on the magazine staff, killing 12 and injuring 11. The gunmen identified themselves as belonging to the Islamic terrorist group Al-Qaeda, which took responsibility for the attack. As Muslim extremists, they were taking revenge for the newspaper's satirical portrayal of the Islamic prophet Muhammad. 
In response for this attack, Anonymous declares their own war on terror, promising to bring down terrorist websites around the world. Not long after, they start Operation ICE-ISIS. Since ISIS shared the same goals as, as Al-Qaeda and were a much larger, or, which, much larger organization at the time, uh, and they stated, ISIS, we will hunt you. Take down your sites, accounts, emails, and expose you. From now on, no safe place for you online. You will be treated like a virus, and we are the cure. We own the internet. We are anonymous. We are legion. We do not forgive. We do not forget. Expect us. And it appears they did fuck things up a bit for ISIS, right? Anonymous successfully exposed the name and addresses of some ISIS recruiters in the months that followed. Uh, they shut down the social media handles of an estimated several thousand members of ISIS. In February of 2015, uh, then they go back after, they go after pedophiles again. They go after the international pedophile rings in a mission named Operation Death Eaters. One of their targets was Jeffrey Epstein. Sadly, they did not take him down or anyone else, it looks like. Uh, July 17th, 2015, an anonymous member in a Guy Fox mask is shot and killed by a Royal Canadian Mounted Police officer. This member, a man named Jay Mack, was protesting a con controversial dam project in Dawson Creek, a hydroelectric project on the Peace River. Police reported he had a knife that officers asked him numerous times to put down, that he refused, and then he was shot. Anonymous felt like he was straight up murdered. And they vowed revenge, and they initiated Operation Anon Down. On July 19th, they took down the RCMP website. Over the course of the operation, they bring down 22 Canadian governmental websites. That same month, Anonymous also went after white supremacist groups in the U.S., mainly the KKK. In July, Anonymous posted a video that stated their aim uh, to attack Stormfront. Stormfront was created by former Alabama Klan boss, longtime white supremacist Don Black in 1995, claiming more than 300,000 registered members as of May 2015. The site has been a very popular online forum for white nationalists and other racial extremists. It is just a fucking dumpster fire of website. Uh, Anonymous planned Operation Stormfront for August 1st, 2015, taking down sites and releasing members' personal information. Love it. Expose those fuckers. No hiding behind those hoods. See, and that's why I wish, you know, uh, Facebook, other groups also would just like let, let hate groups say a bunch of shit on the web, right? It lets, it lets uh, you know, uh, people like Anonymous or the FBI or whoever just track them that much more uh, easily. It lets, it lets them get exposed that much more easily. Then on October 22nd, 2015, Anonymous launches Operation KKK to further damage the hate group and they release uh, more members' names. In 2016, things pretty quiet regarding cyber attacks Anonymous took credit for. Uh, that year, there were dozens of high-profile arrests, though, of cyber criminals, following, uh, followed by heavy sentences for their cyber crimes. It seems that many of the hackers who were not arrested decided to lay low for a little while. In 2017, Anonymous launches just one large-scale attack that we know of, uh, Operation Darknet Relaunch, once again went after pedophilia. Hail Nimrod, they hacked ser servers of websites called Freedom Hosting 2 that hosted websites only accessible by the Onion Router, right, Tor, that browser that lets you access the dark web. Visitors to more than 10,000 Tor-based websites were met with an alarming announcement. Hello, Freedom Hosting 2, you have been hacked. Anonymous claimed that of all the data they hacked, half of it was child porn, and that is disturbing. Researchers estimated that the Freedom Hosting 2 uh, hosted around 20% of the dark web, meaning the attack took down a fifth of the dark web. That is a lot of information. After this takedown, Anonymous and its splinter groups go silent uh, and stayed silent until very recently, at least on a big scale. In 2020, 
a group of hackers hacked the United Nations website and added a page for Taiwan to express support for, you know, Taiwan uh, Taiwanese independence. They did the same on the World Health Organization's website. Uh, this act would mark the beginning of a little bit of an anonymous resurgence. Hacks followed in the Philippines, Uganda, Nigeria, and Brazil, as well as in the U.S. in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. After George Floyd's death on March or May 25th, 2020, amid global protests, the Minneapolis Police Department website, its parent site, the website of the city of Minneapolis, taken down, uh, a, vo a YouTube video claims credit for Anonymous. The hack generated a wave of renewed enthusiasm for Anonymous, particularly among young people. Twitter accounts associated with the group saw a surge of new followers, a couple of them by the millions. More hacks followed the release of the video. News outlets speculated that it was also Anonymous who had hijacked uh, Chicago police scanners on May 30th and 31st to play uh, NWA's Fuck the Police and Tazon Day's Chocolate Rain. Three weeks later, on June 19th, a.k.a. Juneteenth, a holiday celebrating the emancipation of those who had been enslaved in the U.S., a person identifying as Anonymous leaked hundreds of gigabytes of internal police files from more than 200 agencies across the U.S. Since the initial George Floyd protests, Anonymous has been pretty quiet. Many think it's because as more hackers have been arrested over the years, as cybersecurity has gotten more advanced, as law enforcement agencies have gotten better at tracking down cyber criminals, they're just more scared of getting caught. Uh, some say they are more wary than ever, often openly wondering uh, who among them are police informants. Also, a lot of the members are now simply older. They aren't teens anymore, hanging out in chat rooms, laughing about sending some kid who doesn't like uh, cursing pizza and pussy pics. They don't care as much about pirating music and other media now because they have jobs. They can afford to buy shit. And they don't have uh, as much time to consume all that content. An anonymous activist who runs the Twitter account, at Anon2World, recently told a reporter, we've grown up a lot, at least I have, since the beginning of all this. Back in 2010, 2012, we would have decimated anything we could to make a point. Now we realize how we could inadvertently affect people in negative ways. But a new wave of young tech-savvy teens could rise up and take hold of the anonymous banner or some equivalent at any moment. Out of some new chat room or social media platform, maybe rising up from the dark web, the arrival of some new group could be on the horizon right now ready to pull off the most epic, you know, hack ever. The most epic prank. They could become revolutionaries, maybe both. Again, as Mentor said, you may stop this individual, but you can't stop us all. After all, we're all alike. So anonymous or their equivalent, not going away. And I'm sure we will hear from them or someone like them very, very soon. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. Uh, Anonymous, what an interesting organization, right? Uh, I have some I have some final thoughts about who they are really and more. Uh, before I share those, I am sorry about this. I know we already had a, a sponsor break. Uh, one last sponsor for today. Today's Time Suck is brought to you once again by DadWatch, a 5013C nonprofit dedicated to solving dad-related crimes. DadWatch stands for Dads Are Disappearing Where All the Corpses Hide. And now, DadWatch has a cyber division. Hi, I'm Dan Cummins, DadWatch founder. Did you know that a lot of dads are doing creepy shit online? Uh-huh. Our research has found that 99% of dads are watching online porn. And the other 1%, they just can't figure out where to find it. And that's fine as long as the porn is legal. As long as the porn doesn't lead to online stalking and other serious cyber crimes. Who is your dad talking to online? 
What's he jerking off to? Do you know when and where your dad's jerking off? You know if he's stalking someone behind your mom's back, behind his current wife or girlfriend's back. What the fuck is your dad doing on his phone right now? On his computer? How long has he been in the bathroom? What's he doing in there? Check his search history. Does he follow a lot of half-naked Insta models? Huh, that's interesting. Is he DMing them? Check your dad's DMs. Is he saying the kind of creepy shit to women that say a uh, serial killer might say? Where are your dad's bodies? Report your dad. You probably should. Hit us up at dadwatch.biz slash fuckyourdadsfreedom. We here at Dadwatch, including the new cyber division team, we're just trying to do what's right. And what's right is probably putting your dad behind bars where he fucking belongs. <laughs> Big thanks to Dadwatch. Uh, they've been a great sponsor. Uh, back to Anonymous now. Who are they? One insider to the group compared them to the terrorist group Al-Qaeda saying, if you believe in Anonymous and call yourself Anonymous, you are Anonymous. How do you stop them? Well, in short, uh, you don't. You can't dismantle an ideal. You can't arrest a uh, general disdain of authority. The power of Anonymous and another hacking groups lies in their anonymity. I keep thinking back on that mentor quote. You may stop this individual, but you can't stop us all. After all, we're all alike. Cybercrimes, hacktivism, they're not going anywhere. The internet keeps bringing more and more of the world together. Governments and armies, businesses, etc., all more and more dependent on the online world. Once you're online, you're open to being hacked. And think about what you have online. Almost certainly your money, or most of it. Possibly your actual business like me. Family photos backed up in the cloud. Maybe nude photos. So many contacts, phone numbers, addresses, your social security number, your financial transaction history, your home address, your medical records, your education records, your criminal records. If you have a security system with video, you know, at your house, somebody could be watching you at your home. All of that can be hacked, which means it could theoretically be manipulated, deleted, replaced, whatever. How much would that fuck your life up to have somebody alter your credit history and employment history online? What if someone hacked into your social media accounts, right? Started posting horrible shit on your behalf. How much trouble could that get you in? Think about the real power hackers have. Think about that Carbonax cyber gang I talked about earlier. Hacking into ATMs, making them spit out cash at the right moment, taking over bank transfers, rerouting funds, stealing well over a billion dollars. How long until some group that powerful and savvy with tech focuses less on robbing banks and more on, say, launching missiles as more and more militaries, right, move their weaponry online? Hackers so powerful, they're only going to get more powerful as time goes on. And one of the biggest early hacking conglomerates that showed the world a glimpse of what that power can look like will always be anonymous. Anonymous changed the world. They helped topple regimes, expose pedophiles, expose hate groups all online. And it all began in a 4chan b-board where some teens from Toronto who wanted to fuck with people they didn't like online, you know, maybe send pizza and porn to their house, <laughs> right? They didn't always go after the right targets. That's bound to happen when you have a large, loosely organized group with no leader. They're an enigmatic organization. Quinn Norton, a journalist and hacker expert at Wired Magazine, wrote of Anonymous in 2011, I will confess up front that I love Anonymous, but not because I think they're heroes. Like Alan Moore's character V, who inspired Anonymous to adopt the Guy Fox mask as an icon and fashion item, you're never quite sure if Anonymous is the hero or anti-hero. The trickster is attracted to change and the need for change, and that's where Anonymous goes, but they're not your personal army. And when they do something, it never goes quite as planned. The internet has no neat endings. I like that summation. Anonymous, the trickster. Sometimes the trickster hacks the world, changes it for the better. Other times they just want to light some fires and watch shit burn. 
Let's review a few things we learned today. Learn something new with today's top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, Dog the Bounty Hunter invented the internet. No, anonymous comes from uh, or came from the B-board of 4chan, a place devoted to sharing politically incorrect memes and trolling others. The term anonymous comes from the site's anonymity as well as the fact that when a user who wasn't logged in posted on the board, the post would come up as authored by anonymous. Number two, anonymous has had many targets over the years, but they've most frequently returned to attack government corruption, censorship laws, pedophile rings, and hate groups like the KKK and the Westboro Baptist Church. Hail Nimrod. Uh, this comes from their devotion to free speech, democracy, and their belief that everyone should be able to access the internet freely. Arguably the most success they've ever had was with the Arab Spring protests, in which people across the Middle East were protesting corrupt governments and poor quality of life. Number three, uh, the Carbonax Cyber Gang. These hackers have made off with over $1.2 billion in heists, largely through hijacking online money transfers and taking over ATM networks. On one July 2016 weekend in Taipei, uh, they took over 41 ATMs at 22 branches of first commercial banks, making those ATMs spit out 83 million new Taiwan dollars or about 2.6 million US dollars. Not cool. I mean, it is theft, but also pretty fucking cool. Number four, no cussing club founder McKay Hatch has to still be pissed about all that pizza and porn. Ah, corn nuts. What the flip? Number five, new info. Arguably the biggest hack in history happened back in 2012 and it wasn't pulled off by Anonymous. A hacker group, thought to come from Iran, calling itself Cutting Sword of Justice, claim responsibility. In August of 2012, a technician working at the Saudi Arabian oil company, aka Saudi Aramco, clicked the wrong spam link and infected his computer with the nasty Shamoon virus. This virus, once in, compiles a list of files from specific locations on your system, uploads them to the attacker, and then erases them. Finally, the virus overwrites the master boot record of the infected computer, making it completely unusable. Basically, this thing gives sensitive data stored on your network's devices to the hacker and then just fucking obliterates the devices. In a matter of hours, 35,000 computers were partially wiped or completely destroyed. Without a way to pay them, gasoline tank trucks seeking refills had to be turned away. Saudi Aramco's ability to, to supply 10% of the world's oil was suddenly at risk. The entire company had to move offline for months. No internet. No corporate email, no office phones. Employees wrote reports on typewriters. Contracts passed around with inter-office mail. Lengthy, lucrative deals needing signatures were faxed one page at a time. The company temporarily stopped selling oil to domestic gas tank trucks for over two weeks. They went to a new off, uh, offline system of storage when they did return to computers. And they bought so many external hard drives, they created a worldwide external hard drive shortage. And the hackers were never caught. The Cutting Sword of Justice said they did it to strike at Saudi Arabia's ruling al-Saud regime in response to crimes and atrocities that took place in various countries around the world, especially in Syria, Bahrain, Yemen, Lebanon, and Egypt. The company never revealed how much this attack cost them, but it listed in a variety of sources, or it is listed, as the single most devastating cyber attack of all time. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Anonymous. And the world of hackers has been sucked. So glad my computers were not hacked when putting this together. Please do not hack me, Anonymous. Come on. I'm on. Listen, I'm on your side. Look, look at it. I play this music sometimes. I listen to techno. Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. You know, just, you know, we, I know we don't see eye to eye on everything, but 
I know I made fun of you for some things, but I, I gave a lot of credit for some of the cool things you did. If, if you're gonna go after me, just you know, just send porn and pizza. Please don't destroy my websites or computers. Uh, thank you to the Bad Magic Productions team for all the help in making Time Suck again. Queen of Bad Magic, Lindsay Cummins, Reverend Dr. Joe Paisley, the script keeper, Zach Flannery, Sophie Fax, Sorceress Evans, Bit Elixir, Logan Art Warlock, Keith, running badmagicmerch.com. Thank you to you for continuing to listen to this show. I am very grateful for that. Uh, thanks to all those who've joined the new Cult of the Curious private Facebook group. Maybe the old one will come back. Glad so many subgroups have formed. The Cult of the Curious is like anonymous. You may shut down one of our Facebook pages, but you can't keep shutting all of them down. You Well, you kind of can, but it's hard because we'll keep coming back and you probably can't stop us all. At least it will be difficult. I like their quote better. Uh, thanks to Liz Hernandez and her all-seeing eyes keeping the cult of the curious alive online. Thanks to Beefsteak and the Mod Squad and Jesse, Becky, and Cody running wild on Discord. Uh, we are still alive, you know, on Discord. Uh, thanks to all the spacers playing Time Suck Trivia on the app. Now that I'm recording in advance, doesn't make a lot of sense to list scores. But congrats to Bodhi Sunyata for winning round nine. Two-time champion. Next week on Time Suck, we stay on the internet and we go full fucking wackadoodle. We return to the realm of conspiracy theory with two modern-day groups the media has given a lot of attention to in the past year or so, QAnon and Antifa. On October 28, 2017, someone calling themselves Q began posting a series of cryptic messages in the 4chan internet forum titled Calm Before the Storm. Fucking 4chan. Here we go again. Q claimed to be a high-level government insider with access to classified information, and he took that information straight to 4chan, supposedly to covertly, to covertly inform the public about Donald Trump's master plan to stop a counter, to, or excuse me, to stage a counter coup against members of the child sex trafficking deep state Satanists. Uh huh. In 2018, Time Magazine placed Q as one of the 25 most influential people on the internet. Q followers who call themselves bakers because they follow Q's breadcrumb trail. Ha, I get it. Uh, they spread info about Q's messages and soon formed the full fledged cult of QAnon. Uh, and now you see people wearing fucking QAnon t shirts uh, out at the airport. So that's pretty sweet. Uh, their beliefs would lead to incidents in the real world, including break-ins, kidnappings, uh, attempted murders, and more, all from QAnon believers who thought they were helping to expose the satanic deep state. QAnon would make its presence known in perhaps the biggest showing of Q force to date at the U.S. Capitol breach on January 6th. Then QAnon would blame Antifa for that attack. Uh, so who the fuck is Antifa? Antifa, short for, oh boy, Antifascista, action. Uh, it's a crazy series of uh, German words. From the group's roots, fighting Nazis in Germany is a leaderless collective of far-left activists. I'll work on pronouncing that one first gigantic word next week. Uh, that believe in showing up wherever perceived fascists or white supremacists come to town and fighting fire with fire. Uh, that's what the, the kind of the group statement is. Or sometimes they just start fire, like Anonymous does, uh, just because they like to watch it burn. All right. Some of them seem to be just anarchists who want to destroy mostly because they just like destruction. Uh, to many in the middle of the spectrum, like myself, both of these far-leaning extremist groups appear fucking crazy, uh, getting wild, sticking with the web next week, Antifa and QAnon on Time Suck. And now let's head on over to this week's Time Sucker updates. Updates? Get your Time Sucker updates. Let us begin with a hilarious and loving message from funny and caring meat sack Katie Allen. Katie writes, hi, Dan. My partner, Austin, introduced me to your stand-up and time suck when we started dating. I'm a lover of all things weird and interesting, so I very quickly became a dedicated space lizard. 
He was able to meet you in Denver for his 21st pre-COVID. And he is a huge fan of your work. I probably hear your voice more often than my own mother's because we're always listening to Time Suck or Is We Dumb or that story about you fucking a Nana. Okay, that's fair. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I wanted to shoot you an email because Austin and I are coming up on our anniversary this weekend. <laughs> this is so funny to me. Katie, you killed me with this message. Uh, Austin and I were best friends for eight years beforehand, and we've been through a lot together. <laughs> One of those things was him fucking my other best friend, Rachel, four years ago. We were still completely platonic then, and we laugh about it all the time. After they hooked up, he, <laughs> he got in his car and drove from her place in Missouri to New York. Uh, this also happened to be the first time he listened to Time Suck, and it was the Caligula episode. He has listened to every episode since. We just found out the other day. <laughs> oh, no, we just found out that the day he fucked my best friend and listened to Time Suck for the first time is the exact same day he asked me out. Fucking April 9th, man. I thought this was hilarious. I love you. Uh, and I hoped you would probably appreciate hearing it as well. I do. It would be the best anniversary gift if you could share all of this on the, <laughs> on the next episode. Austin, I love you so fucking much. And thank you so much for always being so supportive of me. Being with you is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I'm so happy we get to spend our lives together. Happy dating anniversary. Time suck anniversary and fucking our friend anniversary. <laughs> ah, thank you, Dan, for everything you do. Your work has gotten Austin through some tough shit. And we really appreciate you a lot. Hail Lucifina, praise Bojangles, your friend Katie. Oh my God, Katie. Happy belated fucking Katie's friend anniversary, Austin. Hail Lucifina. I love that you two laugh over this. That is so healthy. And it's so funny. I uh, hope you two had a great April 9th. Uh, I hope you're doing great right now. I'm guessing you are. I'm guessing, I'm guessing you two just know how to have fun, uh, you know, through good times and bad. Thanks for listening. And thank you so much for sharing. I love that message. Now a murder question coming in from super curious sack, El Moreau. L writes, uh, hello, Suckmaster, longtime listener, first time caller, newly birthed space lizard. I've been binging time suck at my welding job for the past several months. And one thing that keeps jumping out to me is that so many serial killers use 22 caliber guns to commit at least one murder. Why? Is it because the ammo is cheap? These human filth sacks are skimping out on ammo cost? Or is it something else? You would think it would be some cheap 38 special revolver, the so-called Saturday night special. Just something I keep noticing. Uh, fuck you, this email is not that long. Keep up the great work. Three and a half star, or three out of five stars wouldn't change a thing. Uh, thank you, Al. That's a good question. I don't know the answer for sure, but I have a guess. And this probably makes me way too into serial killers to even have speculation on this. Uh, a lot of hitmen seem to like using 22 handguns as well as serial killers. And it seems to be a great gun, not for firefights, not for trying to take someone out uh, who's also shooting at you, not for trying to take somebody out long distance, but specifically for executions when you have a serious advantage on the opponent. Right, for killing someone who's unarmed, someone you've overpowered. Ammo is cheap and abundant. 22 is easy to get a hold of. That's part of it. They're, I'm guessing they're light. They don't kick much at all. They're quieter than most other guns. They don't make a big mess because they're not that powerful. Uh, but they still kill someone when you're shooting up close. Actually, when a shot at close range uh, or with a shot at close range of the head, and I believe this comes from the Iceman suck a long time ago. I don't even know why I had this information in my head, but they can pierce the skull, but they're not powerful enough uh, for the bullet to make it back out of the skull. And then it ricochets around inside the, the skull, doing more damage than a more powerful weapon. And, and, you know, and they're lightweight, easy to carry around, easy to conceal. Not good for combat, but good for a serial killer who wants to kill relatively quietly and in most cases up close and personal. And I feel a little weird putting that all together. Uh, I, I think that's what it is from what I understand. And I got all that information uh, from a text from my dad. Uh, my dad had a lot of opinions about all that. So make it that way you will. Uh, now quick Mao Zedong update, kind of. From funny sucker, uh, Human Harden. 
Uh, Human writes, hi, Dan, just listening to the new time suck and I'm extremely worried. My dad got a Shih Tzu dog and named him Mao Zedong when I was a kid. Now I have to reevaluate where my dad was from his birth in 1948 until now. Thanks. Hashtag, where was Human's dad? Yeah, super weird. Your dad named, uh, you know, your dog Mao Zedong. I'm guessing your dad is at least a serial killer, if not a mass murder of some kind, probably a mass murder. Definitely going to have the dad watch team, the cyber team, look into his whereabouts. Uh, thank you for doing what's right and bringing him to our attention. I wish everyone, you know, could just finally just fucking follow their dad and find some dirt. <laughs> now, three up, three updates and one coming in from Super Sack, Derek Devontier. I'm guessing how to say your last name, Derek. You know I'm not good with French. Derek writes, even if, if your name even is French. Dear Lord Almighty of the Suck, Loyal Meat Sack, and Dummy Devo here. Three of the latest sucks have hit close to home. I'll try and write this quick. Blackwater suck. I went to work for them in 2006 after getting out of the Marines, went to Moyoc for training, while there went to the company headquarters. Met Eric Prince, shook hands. He welcomed me aboard, told me while in training uh, or on uh, deployment, at any time, if I need anything, don't be hesitant to contact him uh, directly. Lots of opinions, good and bad, but I thought I'd share that. Also, I was friends with Scott Helvenston, met him in the Marines. He was an absolute PT animal. Often went surfing before he left to go to Blackwater. Was sad to hear about the situation that led to his death. There was a little memorial outside the headquarters. The Mao suck. I grew up in Montana. Uh, worked at a Chinese restaurant during high school. My boss, Paul Chu, was a legendary character. Never could say my name correct, so he called me Guy. I love it. See? It's not just me. It was my birthday one night. He asked how old I was. I said 18. He sat back with a big sigh and said, you want to know what I did when I was 18? I swam from mainland China to Hong Kong across Murs Bay to avoid being caught. He and his brother trained before making the swim. They did get caught once, put in jail for, uh, for a time. All he said about his time in jail was that it was very bad. He went from Hong Kong to New York, finally ended up in Bozeman and opened the Great China Wall Restaurant. Often wonder where he is now. Oh. And finally, Grandpa War. Took me a while to listen because the way you describe your grandpa is similar to mine. Everett, or Papa as we called him, he grew up in a one-room house with my aunt and uncle, went into the Navy, was on Iwo Jima at the start of the invasion. Holy shit. Uh, afterwards, he and uh, his dad had a fishing shop in Bozeman. He then worked as campus police at MSU. Growing up, I spent nearly every weekend with him, going for breakfast, taking a drive to model train shows. I love it. Baseball card shows. Telling me stories of hoboing around Montana on the trains. Where, uh, wherever I went in the world, he would be the first person I called. He always answered uh, with, where are you at? Uh, that's awesome. He got the C word and passed in 2012. Oh man, sorry. I was able to go back and see him. All he said was, got some things going on and the doc is trying to fix it. Enough with that story. Uh, he said, Jesus, yep. Dan, you're 100% correct. The last day I saw him before flying back to Japan, we hugged and the look he gave me broke me. I could see the strength in his eyes, but his body was failing. As I went out the front door, I said, okay, see you later. And I know he knew how much I loved him, but I really wish I'd said it. Where did these onions come from? Dang it. Hearing you and other meat sacks writing with stories, it shows that that generation produced some legendary people and grandparents. Keep up legendary work. You and the rest of the crew do. I always recommend your podcast to my friends. Well, thank you, Derek. Oh, man, sounds like you had one hell of a grandpa. Also, a uh, very cool connection to both Mao and Blackwater. Man, love that Paul Chu story. Love that he made it to Bozeman. What a beautiful city. Uh, love that. I know I've probably said it several times before, maybe not for a while. I love that Kevin Costner show, Yellowstone, that's set there. Uh, finally got Lindsay to watch it. She thought it was like a dude show. And she was obsessed. Such a good show. Uh, now a cool Mao Zedong update from traveling sucker, Pat Hendricks. Pat writes, hey, Sockmaster, just finished listening to the episode on Mao Zedong and God, was he a terrible meat sack. 
One thing that stuck out to me was when you talked about the uh, Guomindang after losing the Chinese Civil War, fleeing to Taiwan and setting up the nationalist government there. I've lived and worked at an international school as a social studies teacher in Taiwan for the last five years and have come to consider it my second home. When you discuss modern day Taiwan, I felt like you discredited the amazing transition that this place has made since after the end of military rule in 1987, becoming a very vocal and vibrant representative democracy. And you know what? You're right. I uh, did not allocate a lot of time for that portion of the episode. Uh, following the, but I'm glad you are filling in some holes here. Following the end of martial law, Taiwan experienced massive growth as both the economy and government liberalized. The KMT was forced to begin opening up elections to their main opposition party, the Democratic Progressive Party, DPP. Today, the DPP is the party in power after Taiwan elected its first female president, Tsai Ing-wen, in 2016 and again 2020. The KMT has really lost steam as the dominant party of Taiwan because of their views on reunification with China. An overwhelming number of younger Taiwanese people feel less and less connected with China, with the most recent poll showing 83% of people feel more Taiwanese than Chinese. These numbers are only increasing as China exerts more pressure on Taiwan to fit into the One China policy. Also, in the 2020 Democracy Index, Taiwan was 11th compared to the U.S. at number 25, showing that Taiwan is as strong democratically as many nations around the world. You're right in saying that Taiwan, uh, the Taiwan issue is a touchy subject, but Taiwan is not China in this social study teacher's opinion and must be viewed as the strong independent democracy that it is instead of as a province of China. Sorry for the long email, but not really. Love the show and I have been a listener ever since I moved to Taiwan and heard you on another podcast. Taiwan number one pat. Also, not be me, not me being weird. That's a big saying here in Taiwan. Well, I love that Taiwan info, uh, Taiwan number one pat, uh, from someone who knows so much more about Taiwan than I do, who, who's over there. Uh, that, that's, that's great to hear. And, and I do hope that Taiwan can properly break away from China completely, uh, keep the freedom it's fought so hard to achieve. Love that Anonymous has, uh, you know, tried to help them here and there. Very cool information. Love updates like that. Uh, hail Nimrod to you, sir. And finally, going to end on some more funny. Recovering sack B. Arthur. I, lo I love that your name is B. Arthur. I've said, I've said that before. Uh, B. Arthur writes, greetings, Suckmaster. I never thought it would happen to me because I usually listen to the suck on YouTube usually letting it play on my laptop while I play video games or something in the comfort of my own home. Well, Friday the 26th, I had major back surgery. I brought my laptop with me. I had my YouTube notification, let it play, then promptly fell asleep because of heavy narcotics. <laughs> my nurse came in for vitals and meds while I was sleeping, and you were describing how filthy and disgusting Bobby Willie was. Bobby Willie! I woke up, realized what was playing, hit pause, and apologized deeply. Whatever you just heard, I'm sorry. It's a podcast, I said. And then she said, no problem. Hail Nimrod. <laughs> Thought you'd enjoy that one. Not sorry about the length or girth of this message. Be goddamn Arthur. I did enjoy that one. Be goddamn Arthur. Nice. The suck spreads in the weirdest of ways. Sounds like you got lucky with that nurse. Not everyone can handle. Bye, Willie. Bye, Willie. Came up from Bye, Willie. We got down with hogs, eh? Uh, love all these messages coming. In. I hope you. Uh, I hope you all keep sending them in. And also, I do want to say, I keep forgetting this. Uh, you do not have to um, say any nice things about me <laughs> to get a message. Sometimes I feel like a. Uh, a fucking pompous lunatic. Uh, I just read the messages. I, I'm appreciative of that and I think it's very nice, but I don't want anyone to think like, oh, fuck, I got to kiss his ass. I got to suck this guy's dick if I want to get my message on there. You don't. Uh, I, I do not take that into consideration at all when picking the messages. Just, I needed to get that off of my off of my, my chest. And, uh, and that's it. Let's get on out of these updates. Next time, suckers. I needed that. We all did. 
Thanks for listening to this Bad Magic Productions podcast, Meat Sacks. Please, please do not destroy our servers this week. Because if you do, how can any of us keep on sucking? Hey guys, uh, I didn't want to say this earlier in the show, but I actually uh, have found some information on Anonymous. Some of their members are not good people, and I need to get this out there. Uh, some of them, they go after these pedophiles, but actually, if you look if you look deep enough, they are actually the ones, some of them, doing some of the kid. We are Anonymous. We are Legion. We do not forgive. We do not forget. Expect us. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.